This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. Hey, I hope it's a, I hope it's a good one for you. You can do it. Come on. Come on. <laughs> That's how we get our kids out of it. Come on, buddy. You can do it. It's a great morning, folks, and uh, we've got a great show coming up for you today. We are going to be talking about uh, how Donald Trump gets away with it. He can say things that nobody else can say. Is just that smooth. Is he that smooth or is he, uh, is he up to some trickery? Well, we have got a professor that studies um, and and is an expert in the way we speak and the way we, you know, formulate our positions, our verbiage. How is it that he says what he says and then he says, well, I didn't say that. I didn't tweet that. Well, no, you, Don, you did. It came out on your Twitter feed. Well, I retweeted it. Well, yeah, but isn't that the same thing? Well, no, I, I didn't say it. I'm just saying they said it. Can a person not say someone said something? But it's it's a big deal, and he's a master of it. So we will be getting into that today um, and hopefully you know, figure out what really is the role of accountability in our language and how does he just kind of slide through so much so many times. So we'll get to that. Also, of course, um, we got to talk headlines. We got to talk – um, we've got uh, another um, – in the second hour of the program, we're going to be talking about a new show that's out on BYU TV called Relative Race that uh, is – you know, it's, it's kind of it's – a, it's a race to find your ancestors. And I'm finding out some pretty interesting things about mine, quite honestly. I didn't realize that I come from such a royal and regal family line. But we'll get into that a little bit later as well. Um, and really, we have, we got to have fun because the goal of the show is to get you the information you know or need to know. And it's not always, you know, it's not always easy. But it might be handy for you to know how Donald Trump is able to say things that no one else on earth can say. For example, he's got Vicente Fox, the past president of uh, Mexico, basically screaming at Americans and he's and apparently Vicente Fox wants to get involved now at a level he has never um you know that we've never had a foreign leader get involved in the election he wants to get in there and start making some noise and so we will be uh we'll be talking to him as well we also Terry are going to be doing some headlines right uh who's going to be doing the headlines today Caitlin Caitlin is she rocking ready to go Let's go to Caitlin Thomas now for the headlines. Caitlin, what's going on around the world? Thanks, Matt. In today's news, Donald Trump will meet with several Republican leaders on Thursday. Aides on Capitol Hill told Politico the presumptive Republican nominee will be in Washington for a meeting with House Speaker Paul Ryan. And while there, we'll stop in to visit Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and his team. Marco Rubio formally denied Monday that he would ever accept a vice presidential position on Donald Trump's ticket. I have never sought, will not seek, and do not want to be considered for vice president, he said. Instead, I will focus my attention on representing the people of Florida. A former Flint, Michigan city administrator, Natasha Henderson, alleged that she was fired after reporting that Mayor Karen Weaver was telling staff 
to direct money intended for the water crisis to her personal account instead of the official fund formed by the Community Foundation of Greater Flint. Henderson filed a federal lawsuit on Monday detailing the allegations. Henderson claims that she first told the city attorney's office about the redirection of money on February 9th. U.S. Attorney General Loretta Lynch announced Monday that that the Department of Justice has filed a federal lawsuit against the state of North Carolina after it failed to meet a deadline, neither repealing or remedying its controversial law. The federal agency seeks a court order declaring the law impermissibly discriminatory, as well as placing a statewide bar on its enforcement. North Carolina is countersuing the DOJ in response. President Obama signed the National Bison Legacy Act into law on Monday, making bison the official national mammal of the United States. Both houses of Congress approved the bill two weeks ago by unanimous votes. The bill makes it clear that the action is entirely symbolic in nature. Quote, Nothing in this act or the adoption of the North American bison as the national mammal of the United States shall be construed or used as a reason to alter, change, modify, or otherwise affect any plan, policy, management, decision, regulation, or other action by the federal government. The language reads in the bill. Thanks, Matt. That's it for this morning. And back to you. Thank you, Caitlin Thomas. Appreciate it. By the way, Caitlin Thomas, uh, not only a producer on the show, she's Miss Lehigh. She'll be running for Miss Utah. She's also got more scholarships per pound. Leanna, too. A lot of our producers are scholarship queens and kings. Well, they're... You, you pick the ones you, you've called the petite producers. Or they call themselves they call the themselves petite producers. The petite, producers. The so petite say, and you proud know, You say producers. per pound and then tell them, what, two scholarships? And yeah, that's true. Uh, we, by the way, write that down because we need to start getting some scholarships for Benny. Can we just give him like common sense scholarships? Yeah. Just the stuff that we tell him to do? Well, yeah. I mean, that's just gifts from heaven, we call that. Right. Like, you know, brush your teeth every once in a mm-hmm. while. Hygiene. Yeah. Hygiene. Sit up straight. There it is. That's a hygiene scholarship. Sit up Good straight. Job. Put your shirt on. Put your shirt on, Ben. I'm so lucky. There you go. Stuff like that. Hey, um, Donald, and this is, again, I, I feel like we're always beating up on Donald, but the reality is um, there's so much news around Donald. It's almost like Hillary's not even in the race. i this might be a tactic. I was thinking about this this morning because all you hear is stuff that he's done or things that he's yeah. going to do. And, and she's just kind of, you know, she, she's holding events. Yeah. She's talking to people. She's but alive. She's purposely doing things that are kind of low-key, mm-hmm. letting him just sort of go be She's him. probably thinking, hoping that he digs a hole. That's really tough for him to get out of. Do you but think Donald could dig a hole? Other people have tried this, and he just grows in popularity. Right. So I don't know of what the best tactic here is, but she's, so, she's holding, she's out there, but she's not gaining headlines because I don't think she's saying anything that's uh, right. controversial, controversial or anything. Yeah. So Donald, um, he, and again, this is really important because we're going to be talking about how how he uses language to to get away with stuff. He can say stuff no one else can say. And you can't trap him on it. And yesterday I called him mercurial. And then here's what's funny. Uh, I just heard someone else read something from like the Times or the Post where they called him mercurial. Whoa. So somebody's listening to the Matt Townsend show. <laughs> Should we call them out for yeah. for stealing your idea? It's like, it's like they said it's like nailing a blob of mercury to the wall. Can't do it. They didn't say that. They said that. No, they didn't. They even said the word blob. No, because you you started that with, have you ever played with Mercury? I know. And no, I know. no one should ever play with Mercury. Yeah, yeah that was a disclaimer. We, sh- we don't uh, like you to play with Mercury. Right. 
Here's the deal. So Donald um, uh, was on CNN with Chris Cuomo. No way. This morning? Um, let's see. Yeah, I think it was. Here's the deal. Live from his desk, I hope. The guy's everywhere. You know he just calls in. He's just sitting in bed. He just sits up, answers the in phone. Silly what? jammies. <laughs> Benson, bring me a beverage. Um, Chris Cuomo said they, they, they just tried to ask him about the GI Bill. We tried to get your campaign. These are Chris Cuomo's words. We tried to get your campaign and other campaigns to hold forth uh, on whether or not they supported the current GI Bill. In Congress, a sneaky vote in the House, no roll call, is going to cut money from the GI Bill to allow for other expenditures, and the vets were upset. Okay, And so all they were doing was asking him. uh, They were saying, no, don't take any money from us and reallocate it. Find savings elsewhere. Do you support maintaining the GI Bill? The way it is and growing it instead of cutting it. Simple question. Here's Donald's answer. Listen to this. I don't want to hurt vets. We treat illegal immigrants better than our vets. I'm going to help the vets. I'm going to only help them. Unlike Hillary Clinton, who thinks vets are getting too much, they're not. I've traveled, seen so many vets. I know so many vets now and have a lot of friends. I have developed a great friendship among the vets. Our vets are, and then Chris Cuomo interrupts. Hold it. So is that a yes? I do support the current GI Bill. Is that what you're saying, basically? Donald Trump says, no. (laughs) I want to bring jobs back. Oh, and I just rebooted it. I want to bring jobs back to our country. Listen to where he goes. Hmm. And make the country grow again. I just traveled. I won so many states in a row in massive landslides, and part of the reason was trade. Hmm. Not what you brought up at the beginning of the show. Totally inappropriate. (laughs) Um, Part of the reason I won was because of trade, and I talk trade, and I'm the only one that can talk anything about trade. But He then babbles on aimlessly. Instead of the GI Bill. Right. Gotcha. And apparently he doesn't know what the GI Bill is. So he's filling time, filling space, yeah. just tossing stuff out, yeah. words, whatever's he, coming off the top of his vets. head. He likes vets. Didn't answer the GI Bill. No. He knows did, vets. Did they ask him again? Yeah. Well, no. And then I guess eventually after, um, they he wouldn't answer it. I guess it's because he didn't know what it was. They're saying – they're alleging he doesn't know what the GI Bill is. Interesting. Now, by the way, our guests will say, no – She'll say, of course I know. He'll say, of course I know what the GI Bill is. I was talking about vets and I was talking about business. Yeah, that's how he does it. But he wasn't answering the question. No. And and for the most part, people don't go back to find out what he actually said because, you know, who cares? They just – they hear no, what he said exactly. they move on. Which is a big deal. You're, the president needs to know about the GI Bill. Yeah. I mean, there's – this is this isn't a new bill. I guess they're trying to cut it. But, but this it, bill's been out in since that case, World War II. In that case, would it be smart for him to say, "I don't know. I need to look into that." Yeah, but you can't. He can't. Say, he he will never say, "I don't know." I know he won't. But if he said it, is that worse than what he just did, where he just tap danced around and he, spewed a well, bunch of words out that yeah, had nothing to probably, do with the GI Bill? It's probably it probably is worse to say, to say I, don't I don't know. know. Hmm. Okay, I mean that's sad, but. Because I think he just confirmed that he doesn't know. <laughs> well, what he should do, honestly, is just know. Yeah. He should just sit but, down and study, just like the rest of us. I guess it's a, it's a current issue, but can a candidate be up on every single thing? That's the hard part. Yeah, no. You, you can't. But you, you ought to know. Something? Yeah. See, this is the difference, and this is why I think people like him, because he's not, he's not just this talking point guy that just knows all the talking points. Hmm. 
I mean, every other candidate has a list of, hey, the GI Bill legislation that's going in, we're not for it. They would know that. They would just say, no, I'm not for that. But, and every other issue. But he kind of just wings it and wings it. And really, he ought to be tweeting less and just they ought to give him a book of talking points. <laughs> Here, re- Well, that's the thing. There is no they. That's true. It's just Donald. That is. Do you that, think there will be a, a they that someone makes him? No. Who could be the, who could be the they? The Republican Party. Who knows more than Donald? It's not about knowing more. It's about you can't know everything. Right. There's just other people that will focus on different issues yeah. that you just can't be he on just, top of. That's all he needs, I think, is discipline and a little structure. He's going to be meeting with Paul Ryan, Mitch McConnell. And the guy that says he'll never vote for him, I can't remember, Stoss or something. Yeah. He, he's, they're going to go meet. They're going to hang out. Yeah. But I don't think – I don't know. I don't, I don't think he can ever just be disciplined. I really don't think it's in him. He, I think he thinks he's disciplined. But you don't, you don't go all over the place like he's been lately if you were disciplined. In fact, talk about John Stewart. I mean so he was on – John Stewart's still taking hits at him. Calling him baby doll, baby man. Baby man, man, baby. He wasn't sure what the, the political correct term for that type of an individual is. And, and it, can it, he really be president? He's it, questioning his legitimacy. It extends from his attitude, the way he responds to things, and his tiny man hands, <laughs> as he said. <laughs> but here's a quote of John Stewart speaking out a, a little bit more seriously, I guess, on Donald Trump and the Democrats. The door is open to Donald Trump. Because the Democrats haven't done enough to show to people that government that can be effective for people can be efficient for people. And if you can't do that, then you've lost the right to make that change and someone's going to come in and demagogue you. There you go. Which is a different sort of approach to Donald Trump. Most of the time it's the Republicans' fault that Donald Trump's here. Sure. And John Stewart's saying that the Democrats haven't done enough to head off a person like a Donald Trump. And now you've lost the the fight, basically. He's out there and his message is resonating because you haven't explained yourself in such a way to the people that they think that you're a party that can help them. Well, see, so this is this is just the two. He's just hitting from both sides. Uh, from the Democratic side, Democrats, you didn't show it would work well enough. Republicans, your candidate's a man baby. <laughs> it's like – what's crazy too, I think, is John Stewart – and this is what's scary about Trump is – Trump has now taught every famous person that they could probably run for president. Yeah. I mean, he's John Stewart's eloquent right there. President Obama last week told the media, this isn't a reality show. But it truly is, (laughs) right? It totally is, You have a contest between multiple participants. There's an elimination process. The only thing is there's no, like, physical challenges other than there's no sleep and you're constantly moving to the next event. Well, you need a ceremony. What's that ceremony called on Survivor where they – The immunity challenge or one of those? Yeah, they snuff out your – Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Send you on your way. You've been evicted from the island. I I think it would be better if we did this on an island. Yeah. That way we wouldn't have to watch it. You have some games, maybe some some turmoil. Can't you see them all just dirty in, like, dirty old clothes – Hillary's in like some leather kind of bikini thing that every Whoa. every well everyone on Survivor ends up wearing hardly any clothes. Yeah, they do. Which I know, why I make, guess that's because it's hot. But the host, the host is well. The host uh, is fully dressed. All the all the the media. I mean, all the the videographers, all the gaffes. They're all they're all ready to go. Yeah. Well, that's fun. Good luck. 
We're, we're getting there, folks. But we're not just going to talk about Donald Trump. We are going to get into the way he uses language. How does Donald Trump get away with saying the things that other candidates can't say? And it very well is going to come down to, I promise, his rhetoric and uh, the way he manages his communication. If there is a genius side, and it might not be genius. It might just be, you know, just natural, right? It's just what he is. It's, you know, it's just his nature. But uh, he's pretty gifted when it comes to the the gift of uh, persuasive communication. Stick with us. We are going to be speaking with an expert about that communication. And what is really the key to uh, to his ability to say anything and have none of it stick? Teflon Don, they call him. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, week after week, day after day, there seems to be another story about a controversial statement made by presidential candidate Donald Trump, you know, and the remaining Republican uh, candidates that he had lined up on the trail one by one. He was just ticking them, picking them off, right? One by one. He would, uh, you know, name them names, call them things, and say stuff you just don't say. So why is it? that Donald Trump gets away with saying things that other candidates can't say. Well, our guest today, Dr. Jennifer, uh, Jennifer Marchia, is joining us, and she is a um, an expert in political communication and presidential rhetoric. That's her field of study, and she's an associate professor of communication at Texas A&M and joins us now from College Station, Texas, to uh, walk us through what she has discovered about the Teflon Don Again, Dr. Jennifer Murchia, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Oh, it's my pleasure. Good morning. Thanks for being here and and helping us through this. What is it about Donald Trump that makes him, uh, you know, be able to say anything? <laughs> well, I think it's a few things. Um, you know, he, he comes at it from a position of power. He's a strong personality. He's a wealthy person. Um, he's definitely used to television and social media and very commanding. Um, but in terms of his rhetorical techniques, um, one that I've identified that he uses very frequently is called paralipses. Uh, and paralipses is a Greek term. Para means side and lipen means to leave. So it means to leave to the side. Hmm. Uh, and it's something that we hear, you know, stand-up comedians use. It's the, I'm not saying, I'm just saying. <laughs> uh, and so what he does, yeah, exactly. So what he does is he's often uh, retweeting things that are rumors or innuendo, unproven facts, accusations. Um, he retweets them or he um, goes on call-in radio shows or TV shows and repeats them. And then when someone asks him, you know, is that really true? He says, oh, I don't know. I'm just starting conversation. I, I didn't know. say it. Was yeah. reported. Oh. I didn't say that. It was reported. <laughs> I mean, you heard that Ted Cruz's dad um, killed John Kennedy. And I'm not I saying that. that. I'm just saying <laughs> somebody said that. I mean, it, th- so that's called that. that's called a, paralip- <laughs> a paralipsis for everybody out there in listener land, huh? 
ellipses. That's right. And the somebody in this case was the National Enquirer. Exactly. Um, and, you know, they're not the most reputable news source. But Donald Trump goes on CNN and says, well, somebody said it. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> and, well, and then he pulls a fact out like I can't remember the fact on the National Enquirer. Yeah, but they did give us the uh, John Edwards scandal and they did give us and he, he'll. Right. So it's funny because he acts like he didn't say it, but he knew enough to defend um, right. the, the newspaper. They were right once. <laughs> they were right once because we brought up on the show. They also brought us, you know, the woman that had the alien baby and the other yeah. stories that we never talk about. <laughs> Right, right, right. So many, many other stories. And he does it. Um, he does it really seamlessly. He does. He's I mean, he's just a master of it. Uh, and the problem with paralipses in this case, uh, that once you put information out there, uh, whether it's circulating on the Internet or through traditional media, social media, people tend to disbelieve the retraction. Even a crazy story like the JFK thing. Um, and and any time you try to retract the story and walk it back, you know, say you try to recontextualize the facts, it actually reinforces the original bit of information. Hmm. And so it's really difficult to retract something. Um, newspapers find this, um, you know, when there's bogus science out there, it's really difficult to walk it back and to get people to understand that, oh, no, that actually wasn't true in the first place. <laughs> Um, the more you repeat it, the more it, people believe it. Right. Especially in our divisive culture, right, where people are trying to believe it anyway. Absolutely. Um, and that's one of the reasons why Donald Trump is so successful is our media is so polarized right now and our electorate is so polarized. Uh, and we want to believe uh, what our team says. <laughs> right. You know, when you when you think about, you know, you're rooting for your team or against the other team uh, and your media is supporting that then it makes it really easy to believe what you want to hear and also find that information. Wow. And and again, too, I guess uh, because he's he, – one of his fortes is supposedly, I guess, starting these conversations. He's great at starting a topic, um, even unfounded, unresearched, no data backing it. But he'll start these ideas and he doesn't ever even have to finish them. He just gets That's them right. going and they just keep going. That's right. And, you know, it sounds like a noble thing. I want to start a conversation. I want people to have input. You know, he's, he claims he has 14 million followers between Twitter and Facebook and he starts these conversations. And isn't that a good thing? Isn't that interesting? Um, but, you know, he's he's <laughs> he's doing that by retweeting misinformation and bad facts. Um, and he does it by, um, you know, retweeting white supremacists, for example, mm-hmm. and then saying, oh, well, you know, we're just having a conversation here, so isn't that okay? Um, and it, it seems like it could be a worthy goal on the face it is, but um, that problem of the fact that it's so difficult to control misinformation once it's let out into the public sphere, um, and it just helps to perpetuate you know, climate of fear and misinformation and distrust. Uh, and I really am worried about whoever is elected president, um, whether it's a Democrat or a Republican, um, not having the support of the American people. I mean, we're so divided as a nation. It just really seems like whoever becomes president is going to have a lot of trouble. Oh, yeah. And and can you imagine we're, we're still six months away and the general mm-hmm. election away? 
I mean, this yeah. could get ugly. It's already gotten ugly, but it could get really bad. <laughs> what about – you know what? What will help, I think, is when Donald Trump brings in a quote from Benito Mussolini. That'll that'll really clear it up because th- that's another example where Gawker actually tricked him. I mean th- that's part of the deal with Trump too is that he's he's reactionary enough to just kind of tweet it out when he's sitting in his robes in his bedroom. Um, right. It, it seems like a lot of – and you're, you study political rhetoric. It seems like most of the other politicians have a team. They vet everything. They have maybe three or four heads that think it through before they post it. That's right. And and for for some campaigns, that's a problem. So I think it was Mitt Romney's campaign in 2012. If they were going to tweet something, it had to go through seven, ten different committees. Yeah. (laughs) And that's too slow (laughs) for Twitter. Um, But at the same time, I do know that the – or at least it's been reported – that the Republican campaign, um, national campaign, is worried that – He's too reactionary and he's too frequently on Twitter. So um, just this weekend, he got into a Twitter war with Elizabeth Warren, um, you know, after he had sort of promised he wasn't going to do that kind of thing anymore. He can't Um, control himself. (laughs) Yeah. And so, you know, they're sort of trolling each other and, um, you know, it's entertaining. It's good for Twitter. Um, yeah. People engaged, but I'm not sure if it's good for democracy. Right. And um, and it's not probably good for um the Republican bosses are are reeling, right? Because there's there just seems to be a lack of discipline in his communication style. That's right. Um, it's very predictable, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, you can predict what's going to set him off and and kind of how he's going to respond to things. And you know, if you examine what he's been doing over almost the last year, nine months, I guess, um, you know, there's there are definite patterns of rhetorical behavior. Um, but yeah, it's not exactly the kind of thing that's on message um, with the Republican Party, uh, and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. You know, so I'm seeing reports now that Ted Cruz's campaign is trying to influence the Republican platform that emerges from the July convention. Um, it'll be interesting to see whether Donald Trump adheres to that platform um, or whatever is decided by the national party or how much influence he has in determining what the platform will be. Um, We could see some real rifts (laughs) between the party and the nominee um, after the convention, which would be bizarre and unheard of. (laughs) Mm. Wow. I mean, for you as a political scientist, this must be pretty um, interesting. It's fascinating, um, it, and it's partially fascinating because nobody can predict all of our models for what should happen or should have happened um, have not played out. <laughs> right. It's, so it is fascinating to watch. It's it's unknown territory, um, and I'm planning to write a few things based on, <laughs> on this election. <laughs> You're going to make so much money doing this? Holy cow. No, no, <laughs> no, no I'm no, kidding. No. Academics do not make money. They don't money. make money. <laughs> They just, yeah, you, yeah, you publish a book and then you get to go do radio shows. Hey, um, talk about, oh, let's do this. Let's take a break. But when we come back, I want to talk about a comment, um, John Stewart made because I think it's right up your alley. He basically is talking about, you know, uh, Trump becoming a demagogue and you use terms, um, uh, in rhetoric, demagoguery rhetoric. And I want you to teach us what that means. Uh, We're going to take a break more with uh, Dr. Jennifer Merchia. We'll be right back, folks. She, again, is from Texas A&M. She's helping us understand the Trump jargon. Stick with us. 
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, we today are talking with Dr. Jennifer Merchia from Texas A&M. She is an associate professor of communications at uh, Texas A&M University, and her research uh, focus is basically on um, rhetoric, of, um, and she actually has co-authored of uh, a book, Founding Fictions, and the co-editor of The Rhetoric of Heroic Expectations, Establishing the Obama Presidency. And we're honored to have her. Dr. Jennifer Merchia, thank you for being here. No, it's my pleasure. And walking us through, really, the communication uh, expertise of Donald Trump. I mean, if there is something he does well, it's, um, it's, it's the art of the deal. No, it's the – if he does something well, it's his ability to communicate, right? His ability to to just, you know, keep his message going. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Donald Trump is the first political um, candidate – sorry, I can't think of the word. <laughs> He's the first political candidate to really take advantage of um, to completely drive his campaign. So in 2008, we saw the Obama campaign using Facebook for the first time, um, and really to the surprise of the McCain campaign, they didn't understand it. And then in 2012, we saw the Obama campaign really taking advantage of um, social media through Twitter and through um, Instagram and, and things like that, where the Romney campaign didn't quite understand how to do it. Donald Trump is able to use social media better than the Obama campaigns did in 08 and mm. 2012. Um, and it's really astounding. He's able to drive conversation. He's able to move that conversation from social media to traditional media in a way that other candidates are not able to do. Um, and he really has been able to advantage, I think, of um, some issues that traditional media have um, with viewers and, and oh Jennifer we're losing you Jennifer are you camp- sorry we're losing your phone uh, line are you there I am still here I'm sorry I'm that's on a okay. cell phone oh that's okay I was just thinking you must have just gone in a tunnel um, no, <laughs> now we got you again. You, you sound great. He, he uses – you were talking about he uses um, his social media more effectively than anyone else. He also, you said, does what? Oh, he takes advantage of the decline in traditional news viewership and readership, um, right? So he draws attention and yeah. people want to read stories about him. I mean, we're talking about him right now, yeah. And um, and he's taken advantage of that. He knows that the more controversial that he is, the more airtime he's going to get. Um, and again, you know, it's not necessarily good for democracy, but it's good for the media. Uh, right now, they're having a boon. Uh, it's amazing. They keep talking about all the ad dollars that people are spending, um, all of the clicks, and all of the tweets, and all of the things. Um, and so he's really reviving traditional media, at least for this year. Right. <laughs> um, you know, who knows how long that'll last. But um, right. So they keep covering him and yep. giving him all this attention. And so there's been studies that have shown the outsized number of hours that we've spent talking about him and headlines and two hundred billion dollars worth of yeah. of media investment. Yeah, for free. Yeah. How do you do that? <laughs> I mean, that's incredible. It really is. And so he's a master at getting attention and of playing the context to his advantage. Teach us about demagoguery rhetoric. 
Because a lot of people are now calling Donald a demagogue. That's right. Um, So the word demagogue literally translates to leader of the people um, in the Greek context, right? So they had a direct democracy, which meant that everyone got to vote and anyone could be, you know, elected or, or they would draw, you know, your name and you would be like the president or whatever. It wasn't the president, but um, and so it, very different from our system. Um, but so to be a leader of the people didn't necessarily mean that you were manipulating them or a misleader of the people. Um, it just meant that you were a popular leader. But today, when we think about demagoguery, it's always negative. Um, and it usually means that you are someone who is uncontrollable, that you are manipulating emotion instead of reason that you are using arguments by force ad baculum rather than reason, um, and that you are doing it for your own personal gain rather than for the gain of the people as a whole. Hmm. There you have it. And and he's using the language um, that way. Is that is that what he's is that how he builds his his following is <laughs> is is using demagoguery rhetoric? Well, he certainly uses some of those things, um, not necessarily all of them. Uh, but so, for example, argument ad populum is uh, appealing to the wisdom of the crowd, and he's always doing that, right? Like, right. we're winning everywhere. Everyone's loving us. Everyone loves me. <laughs> Pull show, right? So yeah. it's always about how popular he is. Um, another one is argument ad hominem, or attacking the person instead of the argument. Um, you can think of lots of occasions where Donald Trump has attacked the person rather than dealing with their argument in a rational way. So I'm not going to talk about the policy of, you know, Hillary Clinton's economic plan. I'm just going to call her corrupt. Hmm. Right. Um, so another example is when um, Carly Fiorina started to do very well after the first or second Republican debate. He just called her ugly. Right? Who would ever vote for that face? <laughs> yeah. Um, right. So think about like low energy Jeb or Lion Ted or right. So all of these um, characterizations of his opponents um, are meant to dismantle their credibility as opposed to deal with their arguments and their policies. Um, another one that he's really great at is argument ad baculum. So that's the appeal to force. Um, he says, when people come after me, they go down the tubes. <laughs> mm. He threatens them. Yeah. Yeah. He'll just overpower him. Yeah, absolutely. And and he's aggressive on Twitter, and his followers are aggressive, uh, both in person and um, on Twitter. And so it can be very intimidating to try to have an argument um, with him or his followers, his supporters. Um, And it's very similar to previous people we have thought to be dead. Oh, we're losing you again, Jennifer. Oh, no. Sorry about that. Can you can you hear me I, now? <laughs> I can hear you now. I can hear you now. Uh, that, it's, you're probably like have to get to your car and you're just stuck, trapped in the window. <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting at my kitchen counter. Oh, okay. Having, trying to have your bagel in the morning. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so, I mean, these are, these are then actual rhetorical techniques and he's – I'm sure he didn't go read a book on rhetoric – He's just doing this naturally. Well, that's the thing is that uh, we've been studying these rhetorical techniques since, you know, the 5th century BC. Um, and they are natural. They're... Oh, Jennifer, we are losing you, darn it. Darn it. 
I want to hear it so bad. Okay, try it again, Jennifer. <laughs> so they are what people do. Right? Yeah. We've been studying these things since the 5th century BC. They're natural techniques that people use. It sounds fancy because we use the Greek words, but um, it's not fancy. It's mm-hmm. actually very natural. Um, and so I don't know how, how much rhetoric he has studied, um, actually. But, um, but yeah, it's a thing for us to do this. Uh, we actually try to correct people from doing things like this, right? So I have a three-year-old, and <laughs> if she tries to threaten me or one of her friends because she doesn't like the way they're playing, um, you know, I would correct her for doing that. I wouldn't right. <laughs> encourage it. Uh, but, you know, that's the way that politics is going in 2016, sort of the level of a three-year-old discourse. Oh, um, it's, it, it really is. It's interesting because that's what everyone kind of feels like is grow up. But it also works for a certain group of people. They like that strength. They like that he doesn't um, – that he's not politically correct. And it seems to just almost, you know, drive more following than than have – than repel it. Absolutely. There is um, a lot of legitimate anger um, with the established political system in the United States, and Donald Trump is able to appeal to people who are frustrated. Uh, And when you feel frustrated, whether it's about politics or anything else, um, the natural psychological response is to lash out, is to act. Um, it's an energizing emotional state. And so he's able to energize a political base that wasn't previously energized. Yeah. Is is there anything Hillary can do? So uh, if if the Hillary Rodham Clinton campaign calls in Dr. Uh, J- Jennifer Mershia, Mer- how do you say it, Jennifer? Mershia. <laughs> Mershia. It's, I got to get the chi in there, Merchia. What would you? How would you consult her? What would you say? She should do because well, you don't want to yeah. step in the trap. No, you have to be empathetic with the people who are frustrated, legitimately frustrated by the process, um, and at the same time, you have to be sort of meet strength with strength. What Elizabeth Warren did over the weekend is. She trolled him, you know. She she told Donald Trump that he was a loser. Uh, he can't stand that, and so then he acts unpresidential. Um, up to now, we keep saying, "Well, he's presidential, we're going to vote for him," and that hasn't been the case. Yeah. Oh, I'm losing you again, Jen. Oh. Ah, you're all right. Um, so so she's trolling him. He starts becoming unpresidential, and he he fell into their trap. Yeah, maybe that'll, we don't know. <laughs> nobody. <laughs> That's true, huh? It's Donald Trump. It's Donald Trump, and nobody knows. Nothing has gone according to script thus far. So we really just don't know what will um, in- encourage the electorate to vote for or against him. Hmm. Okay, well, we are going to have to have you back. And because I'm going to bet something, I bet Donald will say something in the next few months that you're going to have to analyze. <laughs> I'm going to. I'd put money on it. Um, again, we appreciate you. Dr. Jennifer Merchia is her name. Go to her website, um, Jennifer Merchia. Now, you gotta, we got to get this right because you gotta, you got to spell it out. Here, let me get it for you. Just go to the website. Um, uh, I'm going to get it right for you. Don't, don't, you, don't worry about it yet. Dr. Jennifer Merchia. Jennifer, J-E-N-N-I-F-E-R, M-E-R-C-I-E-C-A. 
jennifermarchia.com, um, again, from Texas A&M. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me on. You bet. Great insight. Um, he's using all of this demagoguery and the rhetoric of demagoguery. And it's interesting how it's it's just natural. Um, we do. We teach our children not to do it, and yet uh, Donald's made a living of it and is now maybe making a presidency of it. Can it really last? I don't know. I mean, I think simultaneously he's turning off those people that might not want to take that anymore or hear that anymore. But he's also enrolling so many others. Interesting stuff. Go check out uh, Jennifer's website, jennifermarchia.com. We'll take a break. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. Hey, uh, as we're talking about communication, Dr. Matt here just happened to have a couple degrees in that. But not like rhetoric, like our last guest, Dr. Merchia. But um, there are some basic things that I just want to give Donald and anybody listening some advice on. There comes a point where... Um, you have to have enough character to not say certain things. See, some things don't need to be said. And if you have enough character, one of the rules I teach with all of my clients is you can't communicate at a higher level than you have character. And I think one of the things Donald's running into is he's a great uh, apparently, I mean, he's a great communicator. He can, he's, nobody has started more topics. Nobody has m- entertained and maintained more attention than Donald Trump for the last year. Um, however, he doesn't necessarily elicit trust. And the reason, and by the way, this is just as apropos and important for um, Hillary Clinton as well. Because if you want to grow trust, you have to have character. Meaning people have to believe you are going – that you are honest and decent in what you're saying and that you have the ability to get it done. So to trust somebody truly, you've got to believe what they're saying, knowing it's the truth, and you've got to believe they can get it done. And one of the problems we all have with politicians is we don't trust them. And we probably either then don't trust that they're telling us the truth or that they can actually do it. When Donald says he's going to build a wall, do you believe he's actually going to do it? I'm not saying he's not, but I am going to cite the L.A. Times that many think many said that when he was off camera, he said he's really not going to do that. But I'm not saying they said that. Um, does he is he really going to do what he says he's going to do? And does he have the ability to do it? I mean, he still needs to pay for everything. Right. And he still needs to pay for it through Congress. And he doesn't seem to have the ability to get Congress on his side. So we got to have character and then you then you can communicate. But if you can't, you can never communicate more than you have the character to do it. There are some things that are better not better left not said. You don't need to say it. So sometimes just let it go. Take a pass on certain things. 
he probably didn't need to jump on the Paul Ryan thing. I get what he's doing, and I'm sure he's brilliant in why he's doing it. He's got a political reason, I'm sure. But he's also got to make nice. Eventually, even if he's just president and he wants to blow up the Republican Party, whatever, I guess. But eventually you're going to have to work with him. Right? We can't afford to have another, you know, uh, president divide with the Congress. We, we need to do something. So sometimes you got to pass on stuff. Sometimes you got to avoid t- touchy subjects. I'm not saying he's not strong to take on some issues, but maybe it would be better instead of name-calling somebody that you just state some data. State the policy. And again, you, Donald, for example, got called out because he didn't know what the GI Bill is. But he doesn't have enough character to say, you know what, remind me of that again. What's that? I I mean, I've heard a million things and I've been going for the last 20 hours. What are we talking about? But instead he talks around it. And I get it. Every politician does it. I'm not trying to beat him up, but we do need to learn, right? There's a reason why so many people don't like Donald. And I think it's because he communicates without character. I think that's true with all politicians. We got to demand some character, some integrity. We've got to demand that they actually use facts. And to some degree, we've got to demand that you stick to your actual position. And if you don't have one, you ought to get a position. And be, be able to understand that sometimes, and this is for all of us, it's better to say, you know what? I don't know. I don't know. Let me talk to my people about that. I'll get back with you. I mean, that might be so refreshing to hear Donald say, honestly, on that one, I don't know. I haven't thought much about that. I've got bigger things than that right now. But let me get back to you. I'll have my people make a statement. (sighs) I think if if he started to do that and we could see some discipline and not just a monkey with a machine gun, then we might be getting somewhere. Anyway, just a little advice from a relationship coach. What do I know? We'll take a break. Come back next hour. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side, top of the morning to you. Today, uh, got a great show for you. We're going to be talking with Dan Devenham. He's the host of BYU TV's Relative Race, which is uh, basically a journey where you you go chase down your family. Your, your And they have competition between four couples to go find information out about your extended family, your relatives, your second cousins, your third cousins, and money's on the line. Yeah. What do you mean, yeah? It's a, it's a high concept, meaning there's different levels of what you're trying to do. Like the show goes and finds all these distant relatives. Then you got to follow clues, I imagine, to get to those relatives. And then you have to figure, figure out, out how you're related. And, and you they've agreed to basically have you hang out with them for 24 hours and have this awkward family reunion, yeah. I guess. How great is that? 
Then all of a sudden you realize, man, my family's messed up. Could be. It's called a relative race. It's a great show. And it could be you could do it yourself. I mean, really, all you got to do is get on one of those sites where you can go look up your ancestors and then just go find out where they live and then just show up. <laughs> this way, at least someone has uh, at least uh, made sure it's okay for you to knock on the door. That's right. It's so – it's just so good. It's, it's, it's good, wholesome entertainment right here from BYU TV. So we'll be talking with Dan Debenham about that. And, um, but first, we've got to get to the headlines with Caitlin Thomas. Caitlin, what's going on around the rest of the country? Thanks, Matt, for your news update this morning. Gavin and Murray counties in central Oklahoma are under high alert Monday afternoon as a powerful F4 tornado touched down and began to wreak havoc throughout the rural area. Local news video of the twister showed the powerful storm ripping through power lines and rural homes after hitting the ground in Winewood. The tornado comes after a weekend of twisters hit multiple Plains states. Donald Trump named Governor Chris Christie his would-be transition chairman Monday, his campaign announced. This is the latest move in the presumptive Republican presidential nominee's attempt to gear up for the general election. House Speaker Paul Ryan will step down as co-chairman of the Republican National Convention should presumptive presidential nominee Donald Trump ask him to. He's the nominee, Ryan told the Milwaukee Journal. I'll do whatever he wants with respect to the convention. On Sunday, days after Ryan declined to back him, Trump suggested on Meet the Press he may ask the speaker to step down if he doesn't make an endorsement before the July convention. Bars in New York City are no longer allowed to refuse serving alcohol to pregnant women, according to a new anti-discrimination law. The law states, Judgments and stereotypes about how pregnant individuals should behave, their physical capabilities, and what is or is not healthy for a fetus are pervasive in our society and cannot be used as pretext for unlawful discriminatory decisions. Officials say only a mother-to-be has the right to decide whether she drinks, and about 10% of pregnant women do. The guidelines also note restaurants and bars cannot refuse to serve pregnant women high-risk foods, including raw fish and soft cheese. William Godori has spent a fifth of his life researching the ancient Maya, and the 15-year-old's efforts has just paid off in a big way, with the apparent discovery of a lost Mayan city. He knew that the Mayans worshipped the stars, so William began comparing constellations to a land map and was, quote, surprised and excited to find that 117 Mayan cities were mapped out according to the stars. Then William noticed that only two Mayan cities lined up to a constellation of three stars, which he believed meant a lost city was hiding in the southern Yucatan Peninsula. Using satellite imagery, the Canadian Space Agency was able to prove William's theories and ideas true. He was able to name the lost civilization and plans to visit it someday. That's the news for right now, Matt. Back to you. Thank you, Caitlin. What? 15-year-old kid uses constellations and satellite maps <laughs> and finds a lost city in South America. A 15-year-old kid. Yes. What were you doing at 15? I was playing video games. I like ice cream. Man, alive. He found a lost city. They yeah. ought to name it after him. Well, the kid, had, I guess he had studied constellations since he was five. By the way, these cities were all mapped out by constellations. Then he found out that connection. He's like, well, I know about constellations. So he looks into these Mayan cities. And then he's like, oh, wait, there's, I think they're missing one. And then they found it. How great is that? See? Our kids, they, they, they're doing more things than just those darn video games. Right. And cell phones. Well, some are. Most yeah. are some video are. games. And some Which are. they probably should. They're 15. What should a 15-year-old do, Matt? Well, obey their parents. Right. That's for sure. And clean up your room. What about finding lost cities? 
Jimmy, are you looking for Lost Cities again? <laughs> Turn off your light and go to bed. Mom, I'm almost there. You're crazy. That is neat. I mean, yeah. really. I mean, I've when I was 15, I found a bike once in mm. my backyard in a tree. It was just because you, you hadn't mowed the lawn in a while. Yeah. You went out, wait, hey, there's a bike out here. Look at that. And be, and I learned how to change and fix our air conditioning when I was about 15. Mm. Swamp cooler? Yeah. yeah. That's when my mom said it was safe for me to go on the roof. She didn't know I had been going on the roof since I was 12. Every time she'd leave, I'd borrow the neighbor's ladder, get up on the roof. That was a cool day the first day I went on the Do you roof. remember that? You're like, I, I, I feel like I've done something important here. I climbed on my house. I'm king of the world. <laughs> And she has a real, she says, with his retainer in. Anyway, we got a great show for you today. Uh, we're going to be talking with Dan Debenham, who is the uh, creator and the host of Relative Race, which is a show on uh, BYU TV. You got to go check it out. It's a competition where you get to go look for your ancestors and go find out about extended family members, and they give you a challenge, and you got to track down the challenge with a partner. And it's four teams competing. It's pretty cool. Yeah. And then I think you got to watch out because when you find what you find, you got to realize you're related to them. This is you. This this is these are your people. Yeah. So that's super exciting. Um, we'll get to that uh, before we do that though. Too, we've also got to just you know talk about what's going on around the around uh, the world. Paul Ryan, kind of in a little bit of a I don't know a little quarrel with. Uh, Sir Donald Trump. Last week, Paul Ryan comes out and says that he's not ready to endorse Trump as the Republican nominee. No, I just heard that is, you know what? Not sure we all have the same values. So let me just watch for a minute. Trump responds with, I'm not ready to back your budget bill or whatever. Yeah. And then so now there's a meeting set for Thursday. Paul Ryan, Speaker of the House. Yeah, Mitch McConnell, who's the Senate Majority Leader. They're going to meet with... Trump and try to come to some idea as to what everyone believes and what the uh, the party's platform probably they'll probably discuss some of that. Right, right. I read yesterday there's some cruise delegates who are trying to get in and influence yeah. this platform because they fear that Trump is going to liberalize it and they want it to be even more conservative. There's a bunch of things they want to add to the Republican platform. Because Trump actually distinguished himself from not not being um, a – he's not here for the conservative party. He's here for the Republican party. Yeah. So that makes some of the conservatives think, huh? So there's that issue going on right. too. Paul Ryan yesterday in a Wisconsin newspaper – I think it was Milwaukee – was saying that um, uh, that – he would step down from his responsibilities at the convention. He's in charge of the convention as being the Speaker of the House. He says he will step down from that position if Donald Trump wants him to because he's the candidate, will do what he wants to do. <laughs> and you're like, what? Huh? How does that work? You're, you're supposed yeah. to be the guy in charge of the convention, but I guess it's just an organizing situation yeah. that he's in charge of. So I can step away from the organizing of a a big party unless he, somebody else do it if that's what the He would love to get away from that mess. I imagine so. So it's, it's a headache. You have other responsibilities, right? But then see, but it seems like you need a guy like Paul Ryan to be there to tie down the the platform. You would think? You, because you'd kind of want somebody that's been there consistently, not just the new guy. 
just to be in charge of the platform. Right. Let him have his voice in the platform. And he, he was painted as kind of the middle ground guy. Right. For the Republican Party. He's the... He's the compromise. He's the guy that everybody can agree with. Is mm-hmm. there was sort of that insurrection after yeah. Boehner stepped down of who was going to be the speaker. You can trust Paul Ryan. They gave him weekends off, and Paul Ryan's happy to be the Speaker of the House. He's a family man. Yeah. So Donald's going head-to-head with him, and they're going to be meeting Thursday. And who knows what will happen there. But you're saying Paul Ryan is okay if, if you want to let me go. Yeah. If you as don't the, want me as the chair of the convention, if you don't want me as the chair, I'm 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 fine with that. I'm all over that. So I do don't you, blame him. I'd get out of there too. So we'll we'll see how far that goes. Wouldn't you? I mean, I would. I don't want to be a part of that. No, because that's just not going to go well. Um, I don't know if you heard about um, Kim Jong Un. <laughs> they had their Congress, their People's Congress, yeah. and you won't believe this, but the North Korean leader Kim Jong Un. Um, has been, I guess, named the um, party chairman. Yes. It is the darndest thing. Yeah. Unanimous. Unanimous. Not one person was against it. (laughs) Unanimous vote. He is the party chairman. Also, one of his, I think it was an uncle that was a military leader that has missed several key political, like, public appearances. And many reports had him executed for wow. being uh, disloyal. No. Shows up with, with like yesterday with a, uh, a promotion. <laughs> like, wait, we thought you were dead. <laughs> he had bruises all over his body. He had a promotion. Yeah. It's a, a new outlook on the administration in North Korea. You know, Uncle Jim has been very quiet since he went away for those three weeks. There's all sorts of, uh, of rumors as to what happened. But uh, oh. apparently he's okay. And he just got a promotion. It's it's kind of scary to think that you could have a person in leadership positions that would risk – that would be threatening you, you know, using demagoguery type of re- rhetoric. Huh? I don't know. Just slipped out. Do you watch reality TV at all? No. Not at all? I don't get to see much TV. Oh, just TV in general. Warriors games. That was fun last. Did you see the end of the game last night? I it was fell pretty asleep, late. Actually, he had 17 points in the overtime. So, oh, so who Steph won? Curry, the, did the, the Warriors, Warriors did. won. Yeah, Steph Curry. <laughs> I, 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 I printed it off because it, it is kind of late for you, and I know you're that interested. Was really late. He leads the uh, with four, Steph Curry injured. Yeah, was able to come back, score 40 points. He kind of was rusty throughout the yeah, game. They he was said. struggling a bit, but he leads the Warriors to a win in overtime. He scores 17 points in the overtime. Oh, my living. That's it's only, amazing. It's only five minutes long. Yeah. Right? It's a relatively short amount of time. But he went out there, said, an, he said, um, uh, let's see here. He scored an NBA record 17 of his 40 in overtime. The Warriors outlasted Portland. And it was 132 to 125. So defense was a priority in the game. Um, that was sarcasm if you didn't yeah, catch I'd that. Yeah, I did not pick that up. Uh, so, yeah. Very, it was, highlights are interesting if you want to catch a video of that. It was a fast game. Lots of brutal beat downs so and so livingston got kicked out for saying something he shouldn't have said yeah but that's great so if you want to want to watch somebody excel to the height of their craft you watch listen to the matt townsend well show. there's that or you can watch the last five minutes of that game last night which is all over websites where you can see the the highlights he scored 12 points in a row at the you overtime know. so just excelling at his position as he came off that injury was something that people were worried about, that he wasn't going to be able to – maybe you know, wasn't up to snuff and they're moving on in the playoffs. So. Many, many, people, um, many people say 
that Steph plays like me back in the no, day. No, no, no one says that. No, many, many do. Nobody. No, many. Uh, Absolutely no one. Well, they could. Many people could say that they if could they flat lie. seen me They playing. could. A lie is possible. But it's it's good. Right? It's okay? I, I, I play a lot. Steph plays a lot like me. In that he stands upright while playing or – well, he'll throw down 40 and then hmm. he'll sit out for three weeks and then throw down 40. Like, not a big deal. And you're over 40 and you attempt to throw down. Well, and I sit out a lot. Okay. <laughs> it's very similar. So back to what I was saying. Uh, reality TV. Netflix is trying to diversify their offerings. Okay. So they're not just movies. They're not just other people's TV shows. They're making their own content. They have a talk show that's coming out, I think, this week. They've uh, gone into kind of the half-hour inform- or uh, sitcom sort of TV shows. Right. They, uh, Adam Sandler, all, all the movies he's going to make are now going to be on Netflix. Wow. They've made straight some to Netflix. straight to Netflix type videos that way. Uh, also, they're making a reality TV show. Hmm. Uh, it says, so what would that look like? It's, let's see, does it have the name here? It's in here somewhere. The show, it's, it's, it's kind of like Survivor. Okay. But it'll be on Netflix. The streaming service answered it. It's called Ultimate Beastmaster. Ultimate Beastmaster. Not sure what that's about. It's an obstacle course competition series with contestants from six countries. Wow. There'll be six. There'll be a single co- a competition event, but six local language versions of the show. So they'll film it once and then re- then put six different languages to you know <laughs> as the commentary. They're hosts from the U.S., Japan, Mexico, South Korea, Brazil, and Germany. Wow. They'll produce it once, translate it six ways. Interesting. It's a better idea than uh, so. I don't know. It's they'll have. I, I don't know if they're going to have dub voices. Well, it's better. Like you, if you take an, a, a U.S. show and put it in another country, they either put the text at the bottom or they try to dub a voice over the top, yeah, and that it doesn't work. Weird. So they're going to record it live, record it once, and then have six different translations applied Man. to it as they go along. That's a lot of work. Yes, it is. But and it, and it it's but it's a six for. It's a six for. So depending. So they're tr- they're trying to find a way to make TV. For everybody across yeah. the world. Well, it just seems like that's weird. That yeah. may not work because cultures are different. But, right? who, but who better to try it out than, say, a Netflix? Yeah, that's true. I mean, how many times have we been joking and Ben doesn't get what we're joking about? It's like every day. Right? I've, I've just – I look over the look of confusion. I just move on. And, and then he starts speaking German. It's more of a surprise when he's like, oh, I got that one. Mm-hmm. It's like, whoa. We, like, we connect on some – Lower, really low level, but we connected. Like we had a birthday party yesterday? Yeah. Do you remember we invited him to come to the birthday party? Actually, we, we told him it was a meeting. He also told me not to come. And we told him not to come, and then we all had cake. Well, you guys had cake. That cake was good. Kaylee outdid herself on the cake. Yeah, you missed out, man. You should have been there. Next time you got to come. Get some cake. You seem mad not talking we'll take a break folks when we come back dan devenham will be joining us from relative race uh which is a a show you can see on byu tv it's just an interesting way to go about um you know checking out your family figuring out your ancestors they've they've found a fun way to do it and uh, dan will be talking us uh, about uh what they're learning on the show relative race stick with us this is the matt townsend show we'll be right back
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, when you get a chance, you uh, you got to take advantage of it, right? So if all of a sudden, what if I could sit you down and and take you on a journey back to your great-great-great-great-grandfather, let's say, and tell you and teach you everything about that person, their traits, what they what they're good at, what their what their history was like, the struggles they were going through. It's a pretty powerful thing. And um, if you've ever done anything, you know, involving genealogy, so the study of kind of your family, your ancestors, it's it's a pretty powerful tool. And you need to. It's a pretty powerful thing in your life to know and, and have history and stories of people that um, that are not just. Uh, you know, maybe big, important people like, you know, who wouldn't love to be related to George Washington? But how about just to find out your great, 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 great grandmother's uh, story? And um, it's a weird thing that uh, the LDS Church does a lot of is they they're really big in genealogy. And, and it's it's so easy. It's so free and and exciting to find stuff. And there's probably information about your relatives already on um, the databases of so many of these different kind of sites. One of the sites is also is called Ancestry.com and they've actually started doing DNA testing where they can take your blood and or some uh, – a swab of your saliva and they can actually figure out genetically through DNA testing about your ancestors. Even to the fact that they might have certain genes, they might have certain things that that you need to know about. This is an area that is um, that is taking off. And does it does it matter? Yeah. When I sit here and I look at kids today that are um, involved in gangs or that don't feel like they're connected to anything, and that maybe don't know how they fit into this world, wouldn't it be great to know more about? Grandparents and great grandparents and great great grandparents. I, for example, have a great 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 grandmother, I believe, that um, was named Isabella Park, who back in the day she crossed the plains of the United States in a handcart company. She was a 60 ish year old single woman who decided to cross the plains with the Mormon pioneers. And Literally, by handcart, walked uh, across the plains, which, when you think about it, is incredible. And um, I've been to Wyoming where she passed through with a handcart company. I've seen the stories. I've read everything that there is written on her. And she was a tough cookie. She was one tough woman. And let me tell you now, as uh, as a guy that has been raised with my mother, who is a direct descendant of this Isabella Park, and my three sisters, they all have traits of Isabella Park. And so for me, it is – it's not even – it's not just a neat idea to do this genealogy. It is a critical idea. How come I have such strong sisters that are that are willing to just kind of break the trends? We were all raised um, by two parents that never went to college. 
But uh, great people, smart people, loved reading, loved you know learning, but never could go to college. They had to they had to raise a family, and and yet um, one sister has um, two sisters have basically master's degrees, and then um, the other is completely skilled and uh, really well known mediator uh, in Salt Lake City. And then me. But in the end, to then think, oh, where did all this come from? Maybe it, it came from the fact that we have an, a really keen awareness and knowledge of our family line. And so it really is an important, I think, approach that um, that that you can find anywhere. One website, again, is Ancestry.com. Um, but there are other sites. Just go look up genealogy, and um, and I just suggest go figure out who your family members were. What did they do? And again, none of them have to be big famous people, but there are a lot of stories that are already ar- archived by relatives that you have all over the country, and that is one of the things that uh, the the show on L- on uh, BYU television called Relative Race is trying to highlight. We were trying to get on uh, Dan Devenham, the host of that, and we're st- we, uh, for some reason, uh, had a miscommunication on that. But um, again, you can go to byutv.org and just look up relative race. It's a pretty cool thing. Four couples are traveling across the country. Every morning they wake up with a different uh, assignment. Basically, the assignment is find somebody that day that is in your family line, somebody you are related to. And it it creates some pretty amazing uh, experiences and some great television. So go look up Relative Race um, at BYUtv.org. And also go look up your own family, your own ancestors. Find out what your great-great-great-great-grandfather did that might actually resemble what you're doing today. I think it will give you a, a strong link to the past which will definitely give you a strong leak to the future. We'll take a break, folks. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see the good in the world. We'll be right back. To the Matt Townsend Show. You know, do you know your fourth cousin twice removed? Do you know who that is? What if she showed up at your front door one day? What, you know, don't you wonder if you look alike? What kinds of stories could you share? Well, this is the kind of experience that is at the forefront of BYU's new TV show, Relative Race. And our guest today, Dan Devenham, is the host of BYU TV's Relative Race and uh, and really the creator of it. He joins us now live from Utah. Mr. Daniel Devenham, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. It's good to hear you, Matt. How are you doing? Good, brother. How are you doing? I'm awesome. And this... doing better, as my mom always likes to say. Yeah, you're doing a lot better, Danny. Um <laughs> Is uh, talk about this show. This is a, a pretty fun idea where where we go back and we find it's a race of four four couples, right? And they go back and find their ancestors. How did you come up with this idea? You know, uh, BYU TV came to us about a year ago, a little over a year ago now, 
And uh, we had worked with them before. We created a show for them, another reality show called Dining with the Dean. Oh, yeah. And uh, that was a fun show. Went all around the country to different universities and pit, pitted two crews or two teams against each other on that campus. And uh, so they knew that we, we, uh, we worked well within that reality TV sphere, that realm. And they came to us and said, look, we have a general idea of a show. We, we want it to be something in the racing format, and we want family to discover other family. Hmm. And we want to work with Ancestry DNA. And that was basically what they came to us and said, now can you come up with a format that uh, will be relevant and interesting and compelling and enjoyable for everyone, keeping in mind the uh, the basic theme of BYU TV, which we happen to believe in here at LensWorks, uh, our company that created the show, which is seeing the good in the world. Yeah. And so we created this show where, as you mentioned, four couples, we cast four couples in season one. It was a couple from Anchorage, Alaska, a couple from Seattle, Washington, a couple from Las Vegas, Nevada, and a couple from Phoenix, Arizona. Hmm. And they ranged in age from uh, the their late 20s to early 50s, and we flew them out to San Francisco, took away all of their GPS devices, <laughs> including their phone, provided them with paper maps and a burner cell phone with no GPS capabilities, and said, hey, for the next 4,500 miles, you're going to race across America, and each day we're going to provide you with clues where you will then discover a different relative, a relative that you never knew you had and you've never met before. And oh, by the way, we hope you like that relative because once you meet them, you're going to be spending the night with them. Oh. Boy, jaws dropped and the race was on. And the uh, winner picked up $25,000, the first one that, that arrived at a uh, key point in Central Park in New York City. That is great. So every night they're basically sleeping at a different relative's house. Yes. And, <laughs> and by the way, sometimes that's enjoyable and other times it's not <laughs> that's good tv right there uh we like to think so and uh especially the social media buzz that we've had has been uh has been very satisfying people all over the country are really getting into it and really enjoyed season one and we're right in the middle of uh getting ready to cast for season two so Ooh. we're moving forward now do you do, I'm, I'm not do you need any people to volunteer because i could probably break my schedule open you know, I appreciate that, Matt. We're looking for anyone other than someone by the name of Matt Townsend. Okay. You're looking for talent. Okay. <laughs> I understand. Say no more, Daniel. Hey, talk no. about what you learned. Like, what are some of the fun stories? What hiccups came up along the way? And uh, and what were some of the fun reactions? You know, that was the beauty of the show, Matt. Uh, and that is, we didn't know what we were going to get. Um we, we obviously vetted the relatives and reached out to the relatives to make sure that they would be at home and willing to host uh, this couple once they arrived. But the couples knew absolutely nothing. They didn't even know who was related to whom, meaning when they knocked on the door and asked, are you our relatives, they didn't know if, if, it, was their, if it was the wife or the husband that was related to this family. Oh, that's great. And um, what we found was, Everything you'd expect to find in a true reality show, completely unscripted. And that was lots of drama, plenty of tears, uh, lots of jeers. Um, violence? Any violence? Emotions. 
Ron, there was no there was no, no violence. No violence. However, okay, okay. Speaking of violence, there 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 was there was on the very first day of the race, one of the couples uh, discovered their relatives in um, it was outside of Reno, outside of Reno, Nevada, and uh, the the race started in San Francisco, and so their first relative was in Reno, and when they got there, the relative excitingly said, you know, I'm actually related to you, Heather, and he was related to uh, the wife of hmm. this couple. And he said, now let's go online. I want to show you how we're related. So he goes online and says, do you, do you recognize that name? And he looks and he says, we're all related through the Dahmers. Oh, no. He says, but that one name, he says, do you recognize that? Yeah, that's Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah, the, the infamous killer. He goes, yeah, that's a relative of ours. Uncle Jeffrey. And the, and the look on her face, <laughs> you know, her jaw just dropped. But, uh... but there, there were those kind of reactions. <laughs> but most of the time, it was a true, real connection. Wow. We had um, one of the couples discovered her first uh, cousin. Another one discovered her uncle for the first time, an uncle she never knew she had. Another one discovered a niece they never knew they had. Um, I think one of my favorite moments was, I believe it was day three, episode three, where uh, the couple from Las Vegas, uh, they happen to be a mixed-race couple, um, he is uh, provided clues, well, both of them, obviously, but uh, he finds out uh, that he is related to his this first cousin, first cousin that he never knew he had, and they meet outside of Coors Field in Denver, Colorado. And his cousin was a professional uh, baseball player for 10 years. And when they met each other outside of Coors Field in Denver, they looked at each other and instantaneously, I mean immediately, these two grown, big, strong men just grabbed each other, held each other in their arms, and started crying, just sobbing as they said, you're my cousin. And, and I remember the one line that he said, is he said, we have the same blood running through our veins. And mm. they just couldn't believe that they had found each other. Um, so there were, there were many more moments like that, uh, rather than uh, discovering you're related to a infamous <laughs> mass murder. Yeah. Um, that is, uh, boy, that's beautiful. And again, these are, this was all just on the fly. So you, how long did it take to do the entire shoot? To get across the country. Uh, yeah, the shoot, the, there's 10 episodes, and it took 10 days. Each day is an episode. And if, uh, if you're the last couple to discover your relative each day, then you receive a strike, three strikes, and you're off the race. Ooh. And so um, there's, there's plenty of drama, real drama, as these couples don't know. They don't know until they receive a phone call um, from yours truly that says, you know, unfortunately, you took the longest time to discover your relative today, and so you've received your first, your second, or, you know, potentially a third strike. And uh, I can tell you that there's, there is a couple, was a couple that, that was sent home, and, and uh, when they started the race, that couple really was in it for the money. And that was it. They were in it for the money. You know what? Good for them. I have no problem with that. The show gives out money for a reason. And uh, they were in it for the money. And very quickly, that went away. You see them morph into wanting to continue on this journey because they can't believe that they're discovering all of these relatives. And they have all of these connections that, that become you know, instantaneous. And, and we've kept up with our couples, and the couples have had uh, 
family reunions and have met with their newfound relatives since the show ended. It's it's really been very gratifying, That's and we're great. really looking forward to season two. Now, I mean, you're a pro uh, kind of broadcaster. You've got a, a wide variety and history in the media. It's it's interesting that a genealogy show, kind of a family uh, family's um, what's the word for it? Just a family. Family viewing. Family history. Yeah. So how has this changed you, Dan? I mean, how does this have you re-looking at family history? You know, uh, Matt, (laughs) boy, you you touched a heartstring there. Um, uh, What you, I'm sure you don't know, is that uh, we lost our oldest son seven months ago. Mm. And um, in losing a child, um, it has uh, made me think about family more than ever, more than ever. And um, this show was uh, filmed uh, about six weeks after we lost our lake. And to to see these family connections, uh, there was was something incredibly deep and moving for me um, personally. Uh, Professionally, it's been one of the greatest uh, shows that I've ever been a part of. And as you mentioned, I've been doing this for over 30 years now. And, yeah, and, uh, at every level of, and in yeah, every been, field, every area. I've very, uh, been very fortunate. But, but, uh, but this show has had as much meaning and more meaning in many ways than anything I've ever been associated with in my 30-plus years uh, with various networks. And, and uh, again, in, in, in losing our son and at the same time seeing everybody discover new family, there was, um, there was just a very deep uh, internal um, kind of emotion that, uh, that stayed with me throughout the show. And it stayed with us as we've uh, produced the show uh, in post-production, as we've edited everything together. It's been... It's just been, again, I've used that word. I don't know how else to say it. It's just been very, very meaningful in a very personal way. Yeah, it is beautiful. And um, there's something different about family, isn't there? I mean, it's, it's sacred. Yeah, yeah. And, and again, we, we saw that. Um, there were, uh, again, it's a television show, and so we were trying to, and I think we succeeded in making it, making it as entertaining as possible on a lot of levels. But But there were... There were moments where people overcame anxieties, uh, overcame their fears. Um, in one case, uh, let me give you a quick example yeah. of that. One of the couples, um, we when we did the backstory on them, and I personally went out and did the backstory uh, on all of the couples, and and uh, found out that one of the couples really had a fear, uh, a phobia of cats. And uh, <laughs> the question that I asked. All of the couples, as, as I said, as you're traveling across the country and as you're discovering new relatives, is there anything that would, you know, give you pause uh, as you meet these relatives? And this one couple, uh, the wife said, you know, I just can't deal with cats. And if there were like cats walking on the counter, I, I'd, I'd lose it. <laughs> well, she discovers a relative that has about 30 cats. Holy cow. And those cats are everywhere, including <laughs> all over the counters. But... And, and and initially she kind of freaks, you know, she kind of <laughs> loses it, and 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 that was initially. And then she sat there and thought about it, and we came back and interviewed her about thirty minutes later, and she said, "You know what? 
I'm just simply going to have to get over this because this is family. I don't even know how we're connected yet, but I know that they're family. And so she she bucked it up. Hmm. She, you know, she she went in there and and made the best of it. Now, what's happened after that, I don't know. Yeah. But I know I know that for that moment, rather than easily walking away and saying, "Look, yeah, nice to meet you, but you're not my kind of family." Um, she didn't do that. She really thought about it. And she said, okay, this is my biggest fear, but this is also family. And, cool. uh, and there were those moments over and over again. There, were, there was, I, think, I can think of one moment that's really funny where there was this real connection between uh, a couple from Las Vegas and uh, a new relatives that they discovered. And if I remember right, they were in Virginia or, or some there, somewhere in that area. And they meet this couple, and they really connected. And then they said, well, okay, you know, this was a great night. This has been fun. Um, we didn't get a strike. Um, so we're ready for bed because, you know, we got to start our journey again in the morning. And they said, yeah, great. Um, so we got the tent uh, set up for you outside. <laughs> and they said, what? A tent? Said, yeah, we got the tent in the backyard for you. And he said, you're joking, right? And they said, no. And he said, what are you talking about? We're, we're family. And he says, yeah, we may be family, bro, but you're sleeping in the backyard. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So uh, get out there. We'll leave yeah. a light on for you. <laughs> well, they actually, yeah, there's, there's more to that story. That you, and, and, and you can stream and watch all of the shows. Uh, you, can, you, know, yeah. you can stream and watch all the shows anytime you want on, on, uh, at Relative Race com or byutv.org. That's great. So uh, you can either go to byutv.org or go to relativerace.com, and you can stream all the shows. Just binge watch all the shows because I don't. If you haven't uh, been following the episodes, and I don't want to give everything away, but there's there's uh, there's more hilarity to the sleeping in the backyard in the tent. So. <laughs> Ooh, does a bear come in? How oh, great. <laughs> A bear. I don't know how funny that would be. I know. You have a, I know. I'm finding out that you have a sixth sense of humor. It's a pretty sixth sense of humor. But I could just see your production staff like pulling in with a bear. Yeah. A trained bear. Exactly. <laughs> pouring butter all over the tent. Hey, Dan, so you're, you're planning year number two, um, and people, so once they co- go watch this, uh, they can just, do you guys have like a Twitter feed? Do you have anything that they can do to stay in touch with what's going on with the new season? Yeah, you know, again, follow everything online, and you're going to find that both at RelativeRace.com and BYUtv.org, and then you'll just go to Relative Race if you go to uh, BYUtv.org. And there's all kinds of uh, social media ways that you can connect and uh, become a part of the conversation. You know, tell us what you like. uh, Tell us what you look forward to. Um, You know, it was – I can tell you that there was a – there's a, a twist in in this season. In season one, there was a twist, and uh, <laughs> and on that twist, uh, every every episode again, as I mentioned, if you were the last one to discover your relative, then you received a strike. Yeah, and strike. The twist on the show was uh, this one episode. Uh, we decided not to reveal who received the strike that night, and instead we were revealing it. The, the next episode in the morning. 
and and social media blew up. I mean, it blew. Did up. it really? And 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 our name, the name of our production company, Lensworks, Lensworks Productions, is front and center at the end of every episode. Man, we got called. It was yeah. We got tweeted. We got you know they and and it was you can't do this to us. And these were you know from all oh, over the country. And they had to wait another week. I got to know. Yeah, you know, oh, that's and good. people were. Saying I'll pay you if you'll tell me, and it was, uh, that's awesome. That's a sign it's, it's working, huh, Dan? Yeah, it's, it's working. It's, it's been fun. Well, keep it up. Keep up the great work. Thanks for being with us, and uh, we look forward to year number two. Hey, look forward to it as well, Matt. Thank and, you, Dan. Uh, hopefully, we'll talk again soon. We will for sure. Dan Debenham's his name. He is the host of BYU TV's Relative Race, also uh, the vice president and principal of Lensworks Lensworks Productions that uh, puts the show together. Awesome stuff, folks. Again, go to relativerace.com or just go to BYU Radio or BYUtv.org and you can uh, get right to the Relative Race um, pr- project and just start watching it. Tons of fun, easy stuff, and uh, good for the family. Hoping uh, we can help you see the good in the world. We'll take a break. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Man alive. Uh, (laughs) Oh, I was just watching a video that I was going to tell you about, but it's taken my breath away. Hey, um, we'll we'll, we'll present the video next hour, so keep listening to us. The, The video basically, don't eat corn. Don't eat a cob of corn. Uh, Don't eat a corn on the cob with a drill. Apparently, some people... Fix the corn on a drill, and then they spin the drill, and they eat the corn. Don't do that. I'm just telling you. As your coach, as one who cares about you, don't do it. We'll talk about that next hour. Um, I'll save that, and we'll post that on our Twitter feed. Uh, honestly, it's it's sad. So be you know, I'm just letting you know. We'll get into that next hour. By the way, it is stay up all night, night. Everyone has pulled an all-nighter at least once in their lives, right? Some for fun, like, you know, some like to sing around the campfire. Others not for fun. Maybe you're working, finishing homework, doing something uh, for a project the next day. But for one day of the year, you can stay up in unison as hundreds of people across the world celebrate stay up all night night. It's a chance to let loose and make some exciting plans with your friends or just see where the night takes you. So happy stay up all night night. Um, Also, one weird thing that went down um, in a bathroom. Listen to this. Police in Ohio's capital are searching for a man who has been pilfering plumbing from stores, hospitals, and restaurants. Dubbed the bathroom bandit, the Columbus police say he enters various local establishments, visits the men's room, disconnects the plumbing, and leaves with the stolen parts in his backpack. A police department spokesman says the, the business, uh, businesses won't only have to replace the parts, but now they have to hire a plumber to repair the man's toilet tinkering. Slowly, we're going to get the wrench where we need it. <laughs> she said that crimes may be unusual, but they are still felonies. The thief has struck at a Kmart and several restaurants 
in Ohio. So if you happen to um, be – if you happen to see a man leaving a bathroom carrying, you know, the pipes, the U-joints or whatever they call those. Call the Matt Townsend Show. Call the Matt Townsend Show, one eight five five chat byu and we will report him immediately. Man, crazy, crazy. <laughs> it's a crazy world we live in. Like who has time? He's obviously apparently trying to save money. It probably saves money because he doesn't need to go wait in line at Home Depot or Lowe's or any of those stores. Wow. Well, you know, we're on the show. We like to give you the information you need. Just keep your eyes open for that guy and stick with us. Uh, We will be um, right back. When we come back, we're going to be talking with Ron Hager, our – our health expert, he's going to help teach us how to uh, eliminate chronic illness and and stay healthier and happier. We also will start the show with an update about why you shouldn't eat corn using a drill. Seems obvious, eh? But it may not be as obvious as you think for at least one poor female from China. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We will be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side, doing what we can on this program to give you the info you need to live a healthier, happier life. Today, no exception. We will be talking with Dr. Ron Hager um, from BYU's Life Sciences, uh, College of Life Sciences here at Brigham Young University. He's going to be talking to us about the number three leading cause of death in the United States. Mm-mm, mm-mm. And you will not believe what it is, or should I say who it is? Well, that's just a little tease for you right there. Medical errors, folks, are the leading cause, third leading cause of death in the United States. Medical errors, errors made while trying to improve your health that actually end up causing your death. We'll be talking about that with Dr. Ron Hager in a minute. Um, Also, we will be talking to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation, find out what's going to be coming up on their show at the top of the hour. And in just a few moments as well, I will be getting to... The um, the most important information of why you shouldn't eat a corn on the cob using a drill. Uh, again, information I didn't think we'd need to tell anybody. But after we um, post this video on our Twitter page at Dr. Matt Show, I think you'll understand. Stick with us. We will get to all of that in just a minute. But first, let's get to Caitlin Thomas. Find out what's going on around the rest of the country. Caitlin? Thanks, Matt. Here's your news update. Ben Carson, who functions as a surrogate for Donald Trump's campaign as well as the person allegedly helping him pick his vice president, requested a meeting with Speaker of the House Paul Ryan ahead of Trump's own meeting with him on Thursday. The meeting has reportedly not been set yet, but was called with the purpose of settling tensions between Ryan and Trump. America's evangelicals tend to vote Republican in presidential elections, but now that Donald Trump is the GOP's presumptive nominee, they're at a loss. In a sense, we feel abandoned by our party, Pastor Gary Fuller of Gentle Shepherd Baptist Church in Lincoln, Nebraska, told the Washington Post, there's nobody left. Fuller said he initially planned to support Senator Ted Cruz, but like many other evangelicals, finds himself 
quote, dismayed and adrift. Veteran Miami police officer Delrish Moss was sworn in today as the first black police chief of Ferguson, Missouri. Moss is replacing Tom Jackson, who resigned last year after a Justice Department report cited racial bias in Ferguson's criminal justice system. After he was sworn in, Moss said it's the department's task to now bring, quote, nobility back to police work. Moss hopes to increase positive interactions between police officers and citizens in the community. If the 2016 election were held just among active duty military service members, reservists, and members of the National Guard, Donald Trump would win in a landslide, according to a new poll from Military Times. Trump beats Hillary Clinton 54% to 25% and Bernie Sanders 51% to 38%. More than 20% of respondents said that they would not vote for either Clinton or Trump, while 11% would sit out Trump-Sanders. Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission officers were making a routine traffic stop near West Palm Beach recently and discovered an alligator's foot coming out of the driver's dashboard. After further searching, officers found that other alligator body parts were scattered throughout the vehicle as well. The driver, who has not been identified, admitted to killing the alligator without a permit and was cited for a violation of hunting laws. And that's it for today, Matt. Back to you. Thank you, Caitlin. And uh, interesting news, Ben Carson on his way uh, or trying to go meet with... um, Paul Ryan to to create a bridge between Trump and Ryan. Try to smooth the roads out of it. Do you think he's been able to figure out and articulate why he is supporting Trump? No, that would be a fascinating thing to listen to. If he finally figures that out. Because every time he's been asked that question, it's come across as like he's he's the only option that will lead to the correct outcome. Instead of like a specific thing that Trump says or anything, it just it's like it's either him or this other guy. So I'm going to support him, which isn't the best way to support a candidate. It seems like, yeah, you'd need you'd want to have more things to hang your hat on. I mean, if you were wearing a hat and needed to hang it. I don't know if the man needs a hat. (laughs) Certain men can wear a hat. I don't know if Ben Carson. is. Oh, I long for the days when we used to wear a hat. By the way, speaking of wearing a hat, there is a woman in China that is so wishing she had a hat right now. Okay, folks, again, we try to bring you the information. Sometimes it seems like meaningless, stupid information. I mean, many times that's what people around the office are saying. Okay, okay. I was going to take some some question there since I find most of this. I think it's important. I think it's critical. Uh, If you, for example, are going to be having uh, some corn on the cob this summer, Hmm. some of you might think, well, hey, I'd love some corn, but I don't have my drill. I don't know why people think that, but apparently some people place corn on the cob on a drill bit. It's an internet game thing people are playing right now. Yeah. It's okay. Like, you've heard of the cinnamon challenge? Mm-hmm. Try to take down a couple of teaspoons of – or tablespoons of uh, cinnamon and try not to Die. yak it back up. Well, Yeah. So yeah. don't do that. Don't do the cinnamon challenge. Yeah. So that it's that kind of thing they're doing with food, and so they take a corn on the cob, and you put it on a drill, and you try I, to eat I'm it I'm assuming off the drill. you also put some butter on it to lubricate it. Oh, well, of course. Then you slowly bring that spinning. You get you get it up to speed, and then you try to bite it and chew. Um, you just you just you, you don't even have to chew it. It just catches your teeth, and then it. Yeah. Okay. Not a bad idea. It's, Really? This, this lady in China, um, this lady in China has long hair, mm. and as she's just having so much fun making a YouTube video, I bet with her friend, I bet with her underaged, much younger friend, she's the drills going, 
and um, she starts biting it. And there, it's cute. She's, it's cute. And then her hair falls a little bit. Falls right on the drill. And then the next thing you know, it just kind of gets sucked up in the drill, wound up, and um, boom, all the way up to the top of her head, and then rips her hair off her head, leaving a gap. A patch. A patch. It's like she has an old man bald spot, but on the front of her head. Yeah. Yeah. No, it looks like she's got a weird balding pattern. It's called corn balding. Cord, corn related corn baldness. Balding, balding. Yeah. But it's a big patch. It's probably three by three, four yeah. by four inch patch. Yeah. She's going to need to have uh, some alterations done mm-hmm. or maybe just wear a hat no. for the next six months. Comb over. Is that what she needs? And she has got a lot of hair to comb. She could do that. She could do a total comb over. Yeah. There's... I mean, there's men doing a comb over with much less hair. Right. Oh, there it goes again. Oh, oh. There, there... Every time I watch it, it's, it seriously is breathtaking. Speaking of comb-overs, there's one running for president. Maybe she could model after Trump. Oh, I thought you meant Hillary. Well, either way. She's got a comb-over. I feel bad for the girl. Really, she didn't have any idea. But honestly, it didn't even seem like it hurt. And there's even video of her at the doctor's office with them they're, putting ointment on it. They're dabbing it, trying to help out. Oh. But... Now, and let's just – again, I'm not making fun of her. I'm really not. I'm, I want people warned that you don't have to make YouTube videos. You don't have to. Should she just shave her head? Well, no. I mean, no? she's got enough hair to do a comb over. Okay. And that drill was huge. Yeah. But here's the key. Um, if you do make uh, a corn on the cob video and your hair does get caught in the video, little simple trick. You don't have to post it. Right. Someone actually went ahead after the fact. Just don't and post it. it. Now, are, you, are they posting it as a public service? No. Okay. I think they're looking for clicks. They want And you gave likes. them plenty this morning. Yeah. So if you, you want to see the video, the video again, and I would take it and show it to your kids, your teenage kids. I'm going to show that to my teenage kids and say, don't do these things. <laughs> don't Just because it's on YouTube doesn't mean we need to talk about it. Right. Anything else going on that we now, do need to talk about? this is the kind of thing that ends up trending on Facebook. Yes. And if you if you look at your Facebook, the, the, the page, the feed, when you open it up on the side, there are trending topics. Yes, trending topics. And over there might be one might be this story because a lot of people want to see her get her hair ripped off because it's <laughs> kind of funny. Um, in a very... Sad way. Sad way. Well, sort of. Um, I kind of enjoy the... I know, you're dark the, that the way. The Darwinian effect of all this. Um, but there's a... Uh, uh, the, the trending topics are very powerful because people come in, they look over that, that column yeah, and they go, oh, there's a going story. On in the world. You click on it and you go grab that. And then all those websites that are on those that are listed get get hits and get, get a but lot it's of only, traffic They're only and trending because these are popular stories that people are interested in and they keep passing them around. A story on gizmodo.com has kind of exposed a little bit of how Facebook uh, handles that trending oh, topic. Okay. And as one guy says, uh, maybe they're uh, bias when it comes to politics. Oh, no. So it says Facebook workers routinely suppress news stories of interest to conservative readers for from the social networking's influential trending news section, according to a former journalist who worked on the project. This individual says that workers prevented stories about right-wing CPAC gathering, which is a big conference mm-hmm. of conservative like-minded individuals, Mitt Romney, Ron, Rand Paul, and other conservative topics from appearing in the highly influential section, even though they were organically trending among the site's users. You're a 
monster. So Facebook can see that there's a lot of people sharing this information, and that's what these people, these these, uh, uh, what do they call them? They call them curators. The cu- so the they're curator. just looking at their numbers and saying, holy cow, people on Facebook are sure talking a lot about CPAC. That's a trending thing. So we should put that, we in, should the put that in the trending. But what they found is that they – or what this guy found, this one individual found that that was not what happened. That stuff would just be put aside and maybe a Hillary Clinton topic would be put in instead. What? He says uh, these allegations emerged after the website Gizmodo last week revealed details about the inner workings of the Facebook trending news team. A small group of young journalists primarily educated at Ivy League or private East Coast universities who curate the trending module in the upper right-hand corner of the site. Uh, The curators have access to a rank list of trending topics surfaced by Facebook's algorithm, which prioritizes the stories that should be shown to Facebook users in the trending section. The section which launched in 2014, can uh, constitute some of the most powerful real estate on the Internet and helps dictate what news Facebook users, 167 million in the U.S. alone, are reading at any given moment. So there's a lot of power there. And these curators are looking at it and they're like, well, we don't want to talk about this topic. So they toss it out. Does this get into that whole – there was something a couple – like a week ago about Facebook – they were having a meeting on Donald Trump. Zuckerberg was up on stage. He's the CEO. He's up there and they take a question from yeah. the audience. I think it was they found it was from an employee. What can we do to stop Trump? And he's like, that. that's not our job. We're not here to stop Trump. That's kind of the message he tried to share back. Yeah. While also saying that we try to what he, he made some building walls references, kind of a dig towards Trump without saying his name. Right. So so now the question is, is Facebook a liberal organization who's curating your news feed? Yes. Apparently. When you're maybe more of a conservative individual, should you be using Facebook? Mm. Um, so it goes on. He go, the guy said he'd come in. He goes, I'd come on shift. I'd discover that CPAC or Mitt Romney or Glenn Beck or a popular conservative topic would be trending because either the curator didn't recognize the news topic or... Or it was like they had a bias against Cruz. Now, they kept a running log at the time. This individual provided the notes to Gizmodo, the website. Along the deep six suppressed topics on the list, former IRS official uh, Lois Lerner, who was accused by Republicans for inappropriately scrutinizing conser- conservative wow. groups. Yeah, that story uh, kind of died. Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker. Uh, anything coming from the Drudge Report. Uh, there was some, uh, what, Fox News type stories. Anything like that was kind of pushed to the side according to this guy's logs. Hmm. So kind of some interesting uh, allegations. How do you recover from that? Facebook and, uh, yesterday about 4 o'clock in the afternoon put out a press release. They said, we take the allegations of bias very seriously. Facebook is a platform for people and perspectives from across the political spectrum. Trending topics show you the popular topics and hashtags that are being talked about on Facebook. There are rigorous guidelines in place for the review team to ensure consistency and neutrality. These guidelines do not permit the suppression of political perspectives, nor do they permit the prioritization of one viewpoint over another or one news outlet over another. Hmm. These guidelines do not prohibit any news outlet from appearing in trending topics. Interesting. That's been accused before because there's not a lot of Fox News that ends up in the corner, even though they have had some dust-ups with some some news, uh, like with Trump and some of their anchors. And some of that hasn't ended up in trending topics like they would This seems like something that you could do an objective study on by just looking at Facebook pages. You could. And just start noticing what percentage. I mean, like that, the IRS scandal story did disappear really quickly. It did. 
And I'm going to bet there's still more people out there talking about Hillary's investigation the, than is actually being shown. The curator that they – is the leak, I guess, from Facebook also said he goes he, – he, he feels you know, we made the Black Lives Matter story happen. And oh, so they elevated it to a trending story. Yeah. That, 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 that's his uh-huh. claim is that because Facebook tre- made cow, it trending. That's a big deal. Now, Facebook says this is all false. They've looked through the records and they don't see any evidence yeah, of this. there is no evidence of that. But this guy did provide documentation to the, the website as they put the story out. Well, let me just challenge a graduate student to go do a study of Facebook page and trending and see. So as you're watching your cat videos this afternoon, yeah. you might have biased cat videos. You don't know. What is the source? Who is the gatekeeper on your cat point. videos on That's Facebook? A great point. And don't forget Candy Crush videos as well. Candy Crush and cat videos. What do we call that? We call that afternoon for Matt. I love me some cat videos. We will take a break, folks. When we come back, Dr. Ron Hager will be joining us, and he will be discussing the number three leading cause, third leading cause of death in the United States. And you won't believe it, folks. It happens to actually be uh, medical errors. What? How can that be? Claims more than 251,000 lives every year. Medical errors. That's 700 deaths per day. Crazy. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Remember, one of the goals of this program is to give you information that you need to live longer, love stronger, and lead healthier, happier lives. That's why we bring on Dr. Ron Hager regularly. He's back with us again. He's an associate professor of exercise sciences in the College of Life Sciences at Brigham Young University. His area of expertise is chronic disease prevention. Today, he's talking to us about the third leading cause of death, which, according to a study published in BMJ, what is it, Dr. Hager? What is the third leading cause of death? You're not going to believe it. It's uh, medical errors. <laughs> but if you look at any, uh, any list of leading causes of death, you'll see that heart disease is number one, and it has been for a long yeah. time, and then it's cancer, and then it's stroke or accidents. Um, it just depends on which yeah, list you're well, looking you, at. I, you never hear no medical errors. No, and there's a reason for that. It's kind of interesting. Uh, in this in this uh, article that uh, that came out, this research article that came out in uh, what used to be called the British Medical Journal, now it's just called the BMJ. Um, a, uh, a a professor, a, a medical professor, uh, talks about this, and uh, he says it's because medical error is not included as an option on a death certificate. So what? so 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 what happens Matt is is uh, uh it's like 114 countries have all kind of come on board and they use something called the ICD coding, International Classification of Diseases. And and it's from that coding system that, you know, diseases are uh, identified, you know, that uh, causes of death are mm-hmm. identified. And so there's no place on a death certificate to put anything related to medical error. And so one of his suggestions – and, and so, so what happens is 
you know, the, uh, you know, the morbidity and mortality data, the disease and death data that come out, you know, in the United States or in other countries, whatever the organizations are, like the CDC or something that compiles this data, they just go off of – so when it's death data, they just go off of death certificates. Wow. So they can only list yeah. what's on the death certificate and medical errors is never on there. But since about 1999, when uh, an Institute of Medicine report came out saying that medical error-related deaths were an epidemic, uh, you know, and there's been you know maybe maybe three or four other studies since then until we get to this one here, uh, and so you, you just don't hear a lot about it. No. Uh, but we're talking about, according to you know uh, whichever study you're looking at, uh, you know it. it some say it could be as high as, uh, you know, five hundred and seventy-five thousand deaths annually. Now, this this uh, physician and, and researcher and professor that wrote this article, he looked at, you know, all the past research, and you know, and kind of extrapolated the data, and and he came up with a number um, that's. Uh, over 251,000 deaths annually in the United that States. That is seven, 700 a day. Yeah, 700 a day. Almost almost uh, 10% of all deaths in the United States caused by medical <laughs> And we don't error. ever hear about that. No, no. And so the reason – so so the first question is, you know, that I would have is, well, why isn't this showing up? You know, if it's the third leading cause of death, why don't we ever see it on the leading causes of death data? And so I've kind of explained that. It's because there's no mechanism for accounting for it. Uh, and then, of course, the other reason is um, that it kind of gets covered up. I'm not yeah. saying there's any kind of a conspiracy or anything, but, uh, you know, if, if a plane crashes, the Federal Aviation Administration comes in and, and does a, you know, a very thorough report. Uh, they do they do a study. They look for you know they have a black box you right. know, of, of a recorder that gets all this data. They so they gather as much information as they can to determine what caused this plane to crash. And it could be anything from pilot error to mechanical failure. Uh, you know, there's a variety of things. But what happens is uh, in that case, if uh, if it is you know found to be pilot error, then that information is not just held confidential. It's actually broadly disseminated to all right. pilots everywhere so that, you know, you can learn from it. And so pilots can then say, you know, hey, you know, this is what happened with this pilot caused this crash. Let's make sure, I, you know, this doesn't happen with me. Or if it's mechanical failure, then the information is disseminated out to all the people that work on the planes, well, you know. And there's only maybe thousands of people dying from plane crashes. Yeah. And there's 210,000 or whatever dying, 250,000 dying from medical error. Well, let me tell you, Matt, I mean, think about we're, since we're kind of, kind of doing the, the little parallel, you know, the comparison here to the airline industry. If 700 people were dying in plane crashes every day in the United States, <laughs> do, you, yeah. do, do you think We'd you would hear about, about it? it? Yeah. We'd <laughs> yeah. be talking about it. Isn't yeah. that true? It's true. And I mean, I, so what would be the reason for not doing it? I mean, I get it. Because they would say, well, really, the person was dying of heart disease. He just died on the table while we were trying to do a procedure. Yeah. So so, so one of the suggestions that this doctor has is that uh, there actually be a place on a death certificate yeah. to list cause of death as a medical error. I mean, he, he, he said in an interview with the Washington Post, 
this physician, his name is uh, Macquery, I think is how you say his name. He said, it boils down to people dying from the care that they receive rather than the disease for which they are seeking care. Right. You know, I mean, that's, that's kind of a scary thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, it makes you not want to see a doctor or go to the hospital. Um, but, but that's not, you know, the message. I mean, he, he's not saying that this is, you know, deliberate or, uh, or anything like that. Right. I mean, doctors in general, you know, are people trying to do good things. Hospital administrators, other healthcare professionals, nurses, or whoever—you know—they're—they're—they're they're, they're not necessarily being careless. Although some of the medical-related errors, you know, do stem from bad doctors. I mean, there are doctors who are not good doctors, just like there are in any kind of a profession. A lot of them are infections too. Yeah, yeah. IV and, and, and catheter-related infections is the number two type of error made. Drug yeah. adverse drug events, number one. Yeah. Um, injuries, falls, immobility, number three. Number four, adverse events during childbirth. And number five, surgical site infections. Right. And so, you know, infection is a big deal. Yeah. And and great efforts have been made to, you know, to reduce the, you know, the num- number of infections in, in hospitals, uh, for example. And that, that actually has come down. But overall, the numbers have not changed. If you look at, you know, the, all of those things together, uh, the medical error-related deaths is not changing much. Don't you think, though, if it were time. being promoted, like like you were saying, certain certain issues are dropping because we're talking about them more. Think of how much we talk about stroke or talk about heart disease, and that probably maybe drops the number a little bit or at least maintains a, a, the number. What would happen if we were reporting actual medical errors? Yeah. These, these professionals would probably adjust. Yeah, yeah, and and he well, you know, a lot of the error too comes from uh, you know either miscommunication or poor communication, mm-hmm. and you think about how complex things are oh. nowadays in terms of transmitting information. Uh, you know, my, my son recently had to uh, go up to the University of Utah Hospital where he received, you know, some of the most amazing uh, and professional uh, medical help that I, I think he could have ever gotten. He just needed a, a, a same day surgery on his ear. And uh, you know, and and it was a it was a very positive experience, but you know, we we met with the doctor, we met with the anesthesiologist, we met with two different nurses, hmm. and and they're all coming in, and, and they're doing things. Every one of them, you know, they're they're asking him, what is his name? What is his birth date? What is he here for? You know, I, I mean, it must have been like a half a dozen times at least that he was asked very specific information. Because they want to try and reduce any possibility for yeah. miscommunication, so and those are the kinds of things that happen, for example, in the airline industry as well. Whether it's a flight attendant or a pilot, they have very specific routines and checks that they do either on the aircraft or to get people ready for takeoff or landing or whatever. And so, some are also suggesting that maybe this kind of a a pattern, you know, be adopted broadly in medicine mm-hmm. because. You know, he was at the University of Utah Hospital, but, you know, while they may have these kinds of things in place, uh, it, there, there is no recommendation or, or sort of national or even international strategy like there is in the airline industry for hospitals. Right, right. So that's, that's one of his suggestions is Maybe that – Maybe a website yeah, yeah, or yeah, something. Yeah, and, th- and then you think about, you know, all of the medicines. You know, the number one cause of medical error-related deaths is adverse drug events. Yeah. So, so you think about that, 
And, and, and what are you going to do? There are so many medicines now. And I've known people in the pharmaceutical industry, from the people who are in research and development, all the way down to the sales reps. And they're the people telling the doctors what a medicine is for. Yeah, you need this for this. And then sometimes you don't know that you might have two doctors prescribing even contraindicating yeah. things. Yeah. Let's take a break. We're speaking here with Dr. Ron Hager. He is the Associate Professor of Exercise Sciences in the College of Life Sciences, talking about how we can be healthier, live longer, love stronger. One way, folks, might be to, to make sure you're careful with your medical care, and uh, we'll come back with more solutions and tools to help you uh, not be, I don't know, be careful. you got to be careful. Surgery is still surgery, so don't be too uh, quick to jump on it. Um, Stick with us, folks. We'll take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we are uh, talking with Dr. Ron Hager, and he is an expert in chronic disease prevention. Um, Also discussing with us today about the third leading cause of death in the United States, which, believe it or not, medical errors. These are, you know, basically people are dying from things that uh, are medical procedures, medical interventions that are being done in order to prolong their life and improve their life. And yet those errors are taking uh, 700 deaths a day. Yeah. And what worries it's me it's a, is there's a lot of elective surgeries. I mean people are going in for a lot of surgery that they don't even – I mean it's elective. It's a choice. You're not going to die without this surgery. You, I mean you don't have to have a facelift. You don't have to have implants. And so not again, if people want to do it, but be real, there's – if everyone knew that the third leading cause of death was a medical, you know, mistake or error, maybe we wouldn't be so quick to have a surgery. Yeah, it's almost one in ten deaths nationally. So, uh, for all causes, you know, almost one in ten is uh, is, is is medical error related mm. death. And you know, another interesting thing that I came across as I was looking into this a little more, Matt, is uh, you know, because obviously the question or the you know the the, the the question I would have is, well, you know, why is this occurring? But uh, how how do you stop it, or how yeah. do you how do you reduce it? You know that that's the the most important uh, answer people should be looking for. One of the things, you know, you say, well, there's over two hundred fifty thousand deaths due to medical errors. Well, are there a lot of other things happening that don't actually cause death due to medical error? In other words, are there yeah. other types of injuries, you know, from mild to severe related near to death, medical yeah. error, near right. death? Um, and there are, in fact, some research estimates that it's 40 times higher than the death rate. So severe wow. severe injuries due to medical error to a person's body or health, 40 times higher. So so here here we have a case where somebody's not dying, but you know there is some kind of an adverse outcome yeah. due to medical error. Well, it, it makes sense that you could certainly learn some things from that. You, know, you brought up a great point. The reason we probably don't is because if we started reporting these, um, it would there would be more lawsuits. We oh, would yeah. just so 
tort reform and I mean you'd have to have a lot of legal changes in order to make the reporting there. Yeah, yeah. So but, this isn't just doctors doing a better job. This right. is I mean everybody's going to make mistakes. Right. You know, we all do. Uh, but like I said, in some in some industries, and, and I, I've seen this even in you know I looked into this even more, and um, you know there was a report that came out of Harvard uh, University, and it had to do with uh, uh, learning to fail and failing to learn, mm-hmm. and and how this has been adopted by the military, by the airline industry, by business, so that mistakes and errors are not you know the person is not um, you know who who commits the error or makes the mistake. You know they they they're not uh, punished uh, so severely that uh, you know they can never recover. Right. You know it's not like some kind of a, a criminal kind of a thing, but it, it, so but but because this is how it's viewed so often when a person makes mistakes, that it, it's you know you try and hide it right instead of make it public so that everybody can learn yeah. from a failure. You try and cover up the failure. Well, now some organizations, and and I've mentioned a few like the military and some others, if you uh, make an error or a mistake and you hide it, you get a worse punishment. Yeah, you're in more trouble than if you make it available so that you can learn from it and prevent it from happening again. Well, don't you see that we we see it with our police departments? Yeah, we see it with that they do these um, these uh, reviews after. After an event, a post kind of mortem, they call it, uh-huh. and they go in and they evaluate. But and and everyone knows they know what mistakes were made. But what would happen if we did that with as doctors? What would happen if I could see the scorecard? If I could see the guy that's going to replace my knee right. has done one thousand knee replacements and has had to redo two hundred, right. and has had serious infections on. 19 right. and death of two. Yeah, and that, that kind of information uh, is available in some industries and in some professions, but not, not, in, not, not in medicine. Mary. Yeah. Yeah, not in medicine. So do, that, you, do you sense we should go that far? I, I don't think it's a bad idea. I mean, especially if we could make it so they didn't always have this threat of being sued, but that they were at least being reviewed and – your numbers were known to everyone. Yeah, and there there are some things like that in place. I mean, you can go online. You can there are these websites for doctors and yeah. physicians, and you know, it's more like and, customer and, satisfaction. Yeah, and they get a grade and that kind of stuff. But there's certainly there's ways to do this. And uh, you know, one of the things that the author of this article, uh, Macri, suggests uh, is to make errors more visible when they do occur. And that's kind of what you're talking about, right? So that they're so, so that you can learn from it, so that the effects of that error can be intercepted. The next time, you know, so you can learn to see things coming instead of waiting till after the fact. So that's one of the things that he suggests. Another thing he recommends is that once you learn about these kinds of things that can occur and intercept them, you can have remedies ready, right? you know, at, ready at hand, especially if it's a life-threatening situation, like an adverse, you know, reaction to medicine. Sometimes that can Take a person's life in a matter right of minutes. Just getting him sedated. Yeah. 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 So that that's another thing. Uh, the third thing he suggests is to make the errors less frequent by following principles that take human limitations into account. So this is where, like in the airline industry, this is where pilots do the, you know, their pre-flight check right. or whatever. And they have it written in front of them. Uh, they can't go through it mentally. They have to check it off uh, visually. And, and they do it every single time. 
because they know that human error occurs. Right. And so this is the way you help control it. So, you know, I, I think this doctor, this researcher has some great ideas. And then from those three things, it extends out both to the left and to the right, meaning it goes out to, uh, you know, the, the, the institutional right. aspect of it, yeah. but it also goes out to the individual aspect, meaning the healthcare provider. Well, I think it's great information. But, 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 you know, Matt, finally, I think people, the individual who's seeking that, like you or yeah. I, we need to take on a certain amount of responsibility too. You know, right now, everybody takes their body to the doctor as if their car's broken down and they're just going to the body shop or <laughs> something, as if they can't know anything right. about their own good health practice. So the individual, meaning the patient, also... Oh, yeah needs to take some level of responsibility on themselves and own it. Exactly. No, that's great advice. And and honestly, uh, Ron, this is important to all of us. Third leading cause of death, medical errors. Be careful. Yeah. Be careful. I mean, if you need surgery, you need surgery. But be careful. Well, you know, I'll just say as we're ending here, 12,000 deaths per year due to unnecessary surgery. Ah. Yeah, that's crazy. Okay, we'll take a break, my friends, and uh, come back. Visit our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Interesting learning. Stick with us, folks. Uh, Hoping to help you live longer and uh, love stronger. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Just trying to class it up a bit. A little Claire de Lynn. As we uh, shoot it down to our good buddies down at BYU Sports Nation, Jason and Jerem. Hello, gentlemen. Oh, yeah. Very soothing. Light hits, less talk. BYU Radio. That's great. How are you guys? Good. We're doing good. Hey, um, here's the deal. This this is nice music for this topic too. So I was uh, just visiting the restroom, and uh, TMI, man. Who who would you who 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 would you guess is there? Jason Shepard. Jason Shepard. And, and this is becoming uh, yeah, like it's it's happening a lot. Well, I think it's that our bodies are in sync. Oh, that you're meeting. I thought you just meant that you're using the restroom a lot. I was like, I don't need to know. No, we meet a lot. Oh. Yeah, we, we oh. yes, we meet in the restroom a lot. And there's that moment where you're looking at each other and you're like, do I – so I gave him I, – I reached out. We were at the sink-ish area and I reached out to give bones to Jason and he he wouldn't accept bones. Well, I, I mean I, I had not washed my hands. Yeah, I knew that. So I, I just – you know, I immediately went. You know, like the I didn't, I didn't, I didn't commit the foul. Look, no, you yeah. know what I mean. No, you were thinking of me. Well, I and I even once I had extended the hand to do bones, I thought, Ugh, probably ought not. What would you have thought of me if I had just gone ahead and and? Uh, I would have thought less of you. Yeah. See, I would have so thought I, that I guy's like dirty. I did the right thing. <laughs> that guy, there's just something not right with that guy. That's what I would have thought. <laughs> So it's it's just – but it brings up a good point because uh, when I wasn't asking for a hug, I that was just – That would have been awkward. That would have been way awkward. So we just kind of – both of us pulled away and then we just walked away without talking. 
be a just just <laughs> awkward silence as if nothing had happened. <laughs> anyway, it's a good learning I think for everybody. Just don't offer, don't extend an offer of bones or a hand of support or a hug in the restroom. Especially the hug. Checking that off. That is now off of the list. Hey, uh, did you guys happen to see – you guys like corn on the cob? Love it. Oh, yeah. Mm. I, lo- I love floss, so I love corn on the cob. Do you? Have you ever, have you ever had corn on the cob um, by attaching it to your drill and then – I saw this video. Yes. Did you see this video? Yep. Did it take your breath away? At first, at first, when uh, the girl's hair is first buzzed yeah. off, and I know what that feeling is like, and if I have to do it again, we'll probably do it that way here. <laughs> um, that was quite the shock. She kind of reaches up and she's looking at her phone and seeing the video, and for, you can see right. on her face that it hasn't set in yet. No, 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 no. It, but but so for those that haven't seen it, she's. It's a video, a YouTube video, and I guess this is what the kids do is they eat corn with a drill and it's funny and it spins and you just hold your mouth there. And Well, her hair fell onto the drill and then got caught into the drill and then the drill just pretty much made its way up her face until it got on top of her head and ripped out a huge chunk of hair. No blood. Yeah, luckily it was just hair. I mean, yeah. that could have been ugly. It could have been horrible. You should not mix food and power tools. Yeah, I you don't want agree. death by corn on the cob. Like the, right. you know, the uh what is it? The coroner comes in and goes, yeah, "Yeah, it was corn on the cob." How did she die? Did. Was she using a drill while Except eating this? Corn on the cob. <laughs> yes, she was. Yeah. It was um it's so I, I just want to know if you guys do you use anything else, any power tools, anything else to eat any type of food? Not that I no, can recall. No, no. The the power fork. Should, the power should be in the flavor. The power shouldn't be in a uh, drill. Tool. That's a great. Yeah. That's a yeah. great quote. Put that on a meme. The power should be in the flavor. There's a flavor. <laughs> yeah. I like what, to use. I like to use my weed eater though, yeah. to um, you know, <laughs> to cut the kids' hair. I've seen some people's haircuts that look like that's what they did. It's kind of ugly, isn't it? Not quite there. Hey, what do you think about the Warriors? Did you guys watch that? Because I got really oh, tired. No. Steph Curry, you know, is unbelievable. I mean, a late addition to even playing and then sets a, you know, an NBA record for 17 points in the four, in the in overtime. Just yeah. unbelievable. Unbelievable. Doesn't he remind you guys of me? I was thinking that while I was watching it. Every time he would hit a shot, I'm like, man. <laughs> it's like, like Matt, Matt Townsend's Townsend. delivery. That guy delivers just like Matt Townsend. Yeah, I doubt like if that. he wasn't wearing a jersey that said Curry on the back, I would think it was Matt Townsend. Mm-hmm. Or Someone... just look at it this way: if Curry had a donut in his hand, <laughs> would you not think, "Hey, that's Matt Townsend"? And airballed <laughs> all of the shots, then I would. Hold on, what do you mean by that? I mean what? I don't know. That didn't sound right. I saw a funny uh, video that someone tweeted out of, you know, Forrest Gump running, but they had replaced Forrest Gump face with, you know. Curry's face, and he's running, and the, the knee braces are coming off, and he's sprinting. You know, <laughs> that's yeah. cute, super yeah. cute. Are you guys still doing your show and stuff? I mean, is we that are. still going on? Yeah, absolutely. We're going to talk about the latest in Big Twelve discussion. ESPN's Jake Trotter, who spoke with uh, Max Weisenhofer of uh, the Oklahoma Board of Regents yesterday, gives us the latest on what mm. Oklahoma is saying, what West Virginia's athletic director said in terms of a timetable. He thinks. Of a decision. Wow. So BYU is in a place of desperation, hoping uh, to be invited. If they're not, they'll stay independent, it appears. So the latest on that will go live to the Big 12 Update Center. 
which happens to be in our control room as wow. well. The Big 12 Update Center. Yeah, the, the Big 12 Update Center, like nationally, <laughs> happens to be in our control room, which is amazing. Are, is, are we the only ones really watching the Big 12 Update? Yeah. I mean, there's probably a few uh, other schools. Anyone's invited, right? Okay, we're sure. in high definition in 55. Sure. You know, okay, so anybody can watch BYU's Big 12 million Update homes. Center. Yeah, you That's can catch it online. Yeah, absolutely. That's high professional. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anything else on the show? We've got uh, Blaine Fowler's going to join us in studio. Uh, Sean Olmstead, the head coach of the men's volleyball team, uh, we'll we'll talk with him. And uh, I mean, honestly, we may even throw in uh, a little of growing pains talk. <gasps> we spent probably wow. more time than we should have, but I thoroughly enjoyed it during our pre-show meeting, talking about growing pains and listening to the theme song. Yeah, mm. show me that smile. You know, you know what? You can't really overdo growing pains. It's a classic. It really is a classic. It's a classic. I mean, with, with alert. Mike, Carol, and Ben, those wacky kids always getting into their shenanigans. <laughs> Thank you for using the language of the 80s. <laughs> shenanigans. Exactly. So appreciate that. Well, that sounds like a great show, and um, and you guys are okay with Spencer being gone. I mean, he's... You guys are still you okay. Break, man. Are you guys eating? Are you getting enough liquids? I mean, I worry with adults away that you guys... Going to get dehydrated With and sick. With the adults away? With the adult away. Oh, the adult? Mm-hmm. Spencer? Jason's older than Spencer and I, so he brings wis- <laughs> wisdom to the table. Yeah. I guess I'm, I'm talking more just maturity than age, I guess. Okay. Okay. Well, that does oh, make sense. <laughs> Brian, yeah, Brian and uh, Jason oh. off the bench, if you will. Yeah, yeah. So much strength. That's a literal. lot of strength. No, literally strength. Yeah. And verbal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And emotional uh-huh. strength. I'm me. with you. It's great. It's going to be a great show, so you guys. Deep, deep. You've had a, it's been a deep time, and um, just stay away from power tools. That's all I got to say. Peace out. Peace, peace, peace out. <laughs> Thank you, Kip. Um, uh, appreciate that. They're going to have a great show, man. You got to you got to listen to it. It's just five minutes away, folks. Then you can jump right in to BYU Sports Nation. Hey, uh, in the bad boys, bad bad boys, boys section. A driver managed to hit speed so high that a police officer chasing him felt uncomfortable as he followed behind at 140 miles an hour. The unnamed 36-year-old male suspect was uh, clocked driving his 2016 Camaro Coupe as fast as 171 miles per hour on a Minnesota Expressway Friday night. Holy cow. Deputy Chief Sean Padden was working a DWI checkpoint when his radar registered the Camaro. When he went by me, it was a blur. Padden said the Duluth News Tribune, I've never seen anything like this. It's like a rocket on wheels at that point. That's the fastest I've ever seen. Unbelievable. Padden eventually pulled the driver over who slowed and was clocked at 148 miles per hour and sided him with careless driving. Actually, honestly, that's very careful driving. When you're going 171 miles an hour, you should be dead. You can't you can't hit those speeds without being a careful driver. Absolutely, yeah. and survive. He's also just lucky he didn't lose, I don't know, how about everything? A tire could have blown. I'm pretty sure those Camaro tires aren't made to go 170 miles an hour very long. Mm. You got to be careful, but he was fined. Uh, I thought they would just take the car away. To me, you do that. You just take the car. Never happened again. New cop car. New cop car. Absolutely. That'll be the chief's car. (laughs) Have we got me a new Camaro yet? 
No, sir, but we did get a Mustang and a Ferrari. Hey, um, anyway, that's a crazy story. As you know, we like to end the show talking about a hero of the day. Here's a hero story for you. A bride invites 60 needy kids and their families to her glitzy New York wedding reception. After the ceremony was canceled when she refused to sign a prenup, listen to this, glowing in her white gown, her hair braided in a classic updo, Yiru's son was the perfect bride as she looked out at her 60 guests on Saturday, but Yiru wasn't getting married and she didn't know a single one of them. The Princeton graduate and corporate vice president at New York Life Insurance had canceled her wedding two months ago after she refused to sign a proposed prenup agreement. But uh, instead of canceling the reception, which she put down a non-refundable $8,000 deposit for at the luxurious Harold Pratt House in the Upper East Side, Yiru decided that she would find a group of children and families that were in need instead. So she went to the Salvation Army and uh, the Inwood House to find guests for the special day. At that moment, I started to think, it's God's plan, Yiru told the New York Post. I cannot be the princess of my wedding day, but I can give the kids a fairy tale. She said, I thought it was an incredibly selfless act, is what uh, the guest William Natal uh, told CBS New York. So, uh, Yiru, you are the hero of the day. Yiru, son, you know, taking lemonades and making lemonade and then sharing it with people that are in need. Uh, honestly, folks, every one of us could be heroes like that and take some of the bad things in our lives, turn them upside down. We'll be back again tomorrow, folks. Go look for us at byuradio.org. Also look us up on iTunes or tune in to get any of our past shows. Until tomorrow, take care of each other, watch each other's backs, and make it a great great day. We will talk again tomorrow.